1: Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Tyler Schultz. I'm Matt Green. I'm Kyle Timberlake. And I am Jeremy Duval. Welcome! Really excited to have the Firefight boys here for a great, awesome episode. We're going to be doing uh, a deep dive into some of the new juicy stuff from the Firefight update book. So really excited to have Tyler, fresh from U.S. Masters. Kyle, fresh from the island of sad toys that we were both on, not being able to not being able to be at Masters this year. Stupid Greek Uh, festival. Yeah, I know. Stupid. uh, uh, You know, promoting my heritage and being cultural festivals are lame. Be connected to my community (laughs) and fellowship. Boom. And then we have Matt from the firefight RC, fresh from the UK. So I'm really happy to have you guys here. So today we're going to be doing a couple things. We're going to be talking some hobby updates. We're going to be looking at Firefight at the U.S. Masters. We're going to be talking the Command Protocols book. If you haven't already, make sure you listen to the Dead Zone, the podcast. There's a bunch of cool stuff on that they did around the Firefight update. Uh, it, this really is an amazing book, so much good stuff. We're going to be covering just a little bit of rules changes, uh, a little bit of the rules around the models that they've already, you guys have already seen new updated vehicles, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what we think uh, in general about the update, why you should get it, why we're all excited as Firefight players. Uh, So we're going to be taking a look at all of that stuff. So first off, we're going to do a little hobby update. So let's start with you, Kyle. I know you weren't able to make it to U.S. Masters because of your uh, family uh, hoopah requirements, (laughs) your (laughs) your Greek culture, but what have you been up to hobby-wise?
2: I've been actually doing painting a lot like i i've had problems before of like oh i want to paint this and i'll paint something and not finish project but i kind of had a nice palette cleanser with dead zone i painted gcps and enforcers and rebs and got um all those set up uh and now i'm on to my forge fathers with the intention of making i have like three or four different forge father lists so making all those and then finishing off the rest of the stuff to have it ready for firefight uh and then i also did um, a 300 point Battle Tech Force to play with a friend of mine and it grew around with the weathering powders. I have like the Martian red base. So I always kind of made that dusty, you know, shin high Martian coloring on the bottom of them and it came out pretty good. Just one of those things where I'm always scared to do new hobby stuff. Cause it's like, what if it turns out bad I have all this was ruins? Uh, but I sucked it up and uh it looked bad until it didn't. And it's uh it's a pretty cool effect. And so I think I'll my uh, enforcers are actually based on the same kind of Russian, uh, I'm not Russian, Martian sand. uh, So I'm going to do that to them too.
1: You know, I think what you bring up is a good point, which is sometimes in hobby, trying a new thing, it's like one step backwards, but three steps forward. Like it takes a second to adjust to learning it. But once you do, it's like another tool in the toolbox. Yeah. And if you haven't seen, um, I think, did you have that sort of basing on your Maison labs, giant fifties robots list? Like that? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's, I got a bunch of. Um, I, should, I, I should. I don't know if I want to do it on them, just because they're all like painted like a. I got one of those Turbo Dork like chrome metallics that I airbrushed on, and it just I love that bright chrome fifties robot look.
1: Yeah, that's a super fun army. I like. I like playing against that in Dead Zone of a straight up nineteen fifties pulp esque uh,
2: <laughs> sci fi robot army. If, if you're looking for it in the companion, it's it's under the name of Brobots. So.
1: Brobots. I love <laughs> it. love
2: it. Yeah.
1: So, so great. Well, what about you, Tyler? I know you just came back from U.S. Masters, and we're going to hear about the firefight experience at Masters uh, here in a second, though. But what have you been up to? Are you excited? Did you come back from Masters charged for hobby, or what have you been up to?
3: Yeah, actually, I, I came back from Masters, and I've been more motivated to paint some fire stuff. Firefight stuff, and I have in quite a while. So, between that and the new book coming out, I got really excited and I put out all the Asterians that I still have to paint. Uh, so, I think if you're following along with my hobby journey on this one, I've completed all of the like basic grunt kind of infantry dudes and uh, saving all the fun stuff for now. And now I'm onto the fun stuff. So, I've got to start painting um, my two Spectras for my total of three. So, I have one that's painted currently, but now I'm going to have three. And then I've got my vehicles and stuff primed and ready to go keeping one of them undone because I want to see if I want to modify it or do anything or look at the new rules and all that stuff. And so I've got some tanks I need to work on and yeah, it's all Asterians right now I'm focusing on that pretty hard. And then uh, yeah, other than that I've got to play some games. Uh, I just finished playing two games of dead zone with my buddy. That was pretty great. He, he came back from uh, overseas. He was teaching in China and now he's he's back for a brief amount of time. He's going to go back out in August. So I've been hanging out with him. And then he... It's so great. He just picked up Dead Zone again. Just, you know, like hasn't played the game in probably two, three years or whatever. And we were just, you know... I was like, well, you, you remember the basics? He's like, yeah, I remember the basics. I told him the modifiers, and then I was like, okay, let's let's play. And then he just stomped my teeth in the first game. <laughs> and then I was like, well, guess you're ready. And then I brought I brought some pretty nasty Enforcer lists the second time. It was pretty great. So, yeah, all, all good stuff. I'm really jazzed about the sci-fi side of things right now, uh, especially now that I don't have any Kings of War tournaments on the near horizon for me. Uh, I'm definitely going to kind of buckle down and do a lot of firefight stuff. But, yeah, basically playing playing at masters um, it's it's really inspired me to, to get the firefight stuff really going cuz that was that was just a blast so i'll tell you guys all about that in a second nice so that's pretty much the hobby side of thing right now
1: so for your spectras are you magnetizing them are you building some uh, like can you how are you building them obviously because there's a couple different ways you can run a spectra
3: yeah so actually this is interesting i so the the one that i already have that's done and painted is magnetized so i swapped i have a magnet for, on the head and then a magnet on the what on the right arm so you can do either the sword or you can do the pistol um, and then you can swap the head out and then for the other two I actually bought that in a used lot of asterians and so I I got a whole bunch of asterians but he it was pretty interesting the way he did it was actually that both both specters actually have both options so he's got one that's got like the pistol kind of be- like behind the shield and he has another one where he has like the sword behind the shield, and it really does work. So uh, gameplay-wise, obviously, I'll just have to say which one that they are. But it's kind of cool that they have both options. And so this one was already put together, so I didn't actually model these; I'm just painting them. But it's it's pretty neat. They have uh, that's cool all yeah. the options, and it it really does work. He he did a really good job on the you know making sure that the hands look right and that he's carrying both. It's it's pretty sweet. He's got one that's got the sword facing down instead of up. And it's, it looks like he's kind of like assassin style, you know, about to stab with it. It's, it's pretty sweet. So, uh, yeah, those two specters both have you know, both the options. And then the other one um, is is magnetized.
1: I can't wait to see once you get those all, all shined up and done. I can't wait to see those. Because I think I always love to see people's creative ways on how when you can run a model or unit in different ways, how do I maximize list? Uh, variety in building lists, while also on the hobby-wise, you know, not wasting time maybe painting multiple copies of something. So I'm curious to see those once you have them finished. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am too, honestly. It'll be fun to have, you know,
3: three Spectras all together. You know, I I was messaging Kyle Poole about it after Adapticon, and I was like, you know, I looked at my Spectra, and he needs, he needs friends, so his mm-hmm. friends are coming up.
1: Well, and it's arguably one of the best, in a, in a range that flies under the radar, it is one of the coolest models in Firefight. I just love the Spectra; it's just such an awesome.
3: I mean, everyone does, right? It's, it is it's just it's like super dynamic, high-point. really cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, what about you, Matt? What have you been up to hobby wise? You working on anything? Yeah, um,
4: when we started playtesting Amazon Labs months and months month ago, I started building a Amazon Labs army, and that's getting quite big. But it's just churning through. You know, plastic marine after plastic marine. I've done lots of the fun stuff, you know, big stompy spiders and and things like that. But it's trying to trying to concentrate on that now without getting distracted by all the other fun things I can do. Um, with the vault came out, I ended up printing like eleven medics for no apparent reason, just because I could. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> now it's you know, picking a few of those to paint up, and and then with all these new GCPS bits that are coming out, I'm looking at my on going, wow. That could that could transition very easily into a GCPS army. I could do that. You know, perhaps I will pick up a few more mules and a few more tanks and some weapon teams, and it's a slippery slope. It's a very slippery slope.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I've got the. Um, I was going through. I don't know if I put some pictures of it, but I went through my hobby. Sh- uh, that used to be when Jeremy was a tamed married animal used to be my linen closet. And now that I'm free, it is my model closet and I have everything organized. And I like got a label maker and I label makered all my bins. So I have like my GCPS bin. I have my forge Father bin. I have this and that. So I did a big like hobby project organization, which was really good. So I could, because I was getting to the point where I didn't even know like what I had. I was like, oh, uh, that's when you know you like bought too much stuff when you don't even <coughs> Rob Fanoof. <for new." laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was, um, I was nowhere near Rob, but I was like starting to like enter his domain of he doesn't even know what he has, and I was like, man, this is out of control. Okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta rein this in. So I did a be a big reorganization, but yeah, I'm super excited. I've, I've sort of uh, uh, come to the point that I love the Forge Fathers. But the, the fighting Valkyries are, are, shall I say, the cover girls, uh, my GCPS army, uh, especially with some of the new stuff coming out. I think that uh, it's time to monocycle it up. So I think I'm yep. going to be working on my uh, GC- GCPS. We're at the, the the tail end of Clash testing for Kings of War. Uh, but I have gotten a couple UB games in the last couple of days with Halflings, which I'm not bought any and i need to stop playing them right this second because i do not need to get excited about another army buy all the models for and then never paint them because i paint slower than anything on the planet so
2: jeremy but I, have, I have a request yes go for uh, it uh one of your monocycles uh i need them to be doing an akira slide Yes. Okay. Totally. <laughs> just want to cure a slide, the, the unit leader, obviously. But. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's required, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> totally acceptable. And I'm continuing to work on my, maybe it's Maybelline Army, which for those who don't know, uh, there is a cosmetic conglomerate that recruits Beauty influencers, because what are beauty influencers? They're all in shape, right? Because all they do is work out all the time and on their Instagram show pictures of them and, like, getting mad at guys who look at them at the gym, you know? So this uh, cosmetic company has recruited all their influencers, and then they send them, like, Black Widow to this, like, mind-warping, like, martial combat army so they're 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 called cover girls because they're always they go to fashion shows, but you never know if it's they're actually secret warriors who can go fight but anyway, so the fluff is you like really growing. Thought this through. yeah you know it's the fluff is continuing to grow and grow for my uh gcps army, so I'm really excited about that to try to work on that I got a bunch of the um you guys have seen my basing for my forge fathers, which is pre-made bases but i go in and i add extra bits i do some paint like i i take them to 11 right they come in at about a seven and and then i, I turn the knob you know the knob up to 11 so i got the bases for my gcps which are like city bases so i'm coming together with the, sort of the theme that i want uh, i know what i want to have in the list you know definitely some of the toys uh the stride i i gotta have monocycles uh my biker gang so but i'm working on that Outside of sort of the Mantic Sphere, I have been doing some Marvel Crisis Protocol stuff, which has been pretty fun. Those are a great palette cleanser because you're not painting a whole unit. You're just painting one model. And each model is completely different from the next model you paint. So it's been really fun just to try new stuff. So I painted uh, Logan the Wolverine, which is sort of the Wolverine version where he's in the wife beater and the blue jeans and the cowboy hat, like not full costume Wolverine which was a blast to pain. I finished Psylocke, which was a lot of fun. So that's been a cool just like palette cleanser. Yeah, Um, the only thing that scares me about that
3: game is it's really like conducive to the like want to catch them all you know once you have that it's like well now i need the costume wolverine and then i need the you know yes i need all the x-men and then well what am i gonna do not have the brotherhood and and then it just like spirals out of control that's what i'm
2: afraid of with that game working as intended i think (laughs) i think
1: so because they released a lot of models Their sort of marketing scheme in that is very much based around that tyler where you have like a pack and a pack will have two characters right maybe you only want one of the two and in the two characters you get those two characters but then you'll get a, a couple like Uh, cards like in the game that game you you make like a you pick like five or six special cards you can use throughout the event and those are sort of scattered throughout releases so but it's not something i'm going to do seriously you know i'm mainly doing it because um some of my friends you know texas like jeff swan todd serpico have been getting into it so i'm doing it as like a fun friday night uh when we're not playing firefight if you're at a tournament like another game that you can like mess around with so for that, uh and being a comic books guy, it's fun, but it is definitely like and it has exploding dice too, which is it's hard to take exploding dice games a hundred percent competitive and serious because dice explode, but roll yeah. eights, baby. Yeah, just roll eights, which uh <laughs> that's funny, man. Now every time where I go, uh we have uh Tyler, we have the good player, uh yeah, just baby. roll <laughs> eights, baby. Uh we just about what happens when we just roll each other. Uh, off the off the board but well tyler why don't you take us first through first off before tyler takes us through the firefight at masters i just want to take a second again to thank you i originally of course was going to go uh to masters and help plan this with tyler but i had the drop and just a big shout out to tyler to adam travis tim and all the omaha guys who helped Helped us have a firefight present at Masters. You know, heart eye emojis. I'm making the little heart symbol with my hands. It's not the only thing I'm doing with my hands. I'm just kidding. I'm really just so thankful to you guys uh, for everyone who stepped in and supported to make Firefight at the U.S. Masters Friday Night Firefighter Reality. But Tyler, why don't you sort of take us through how the day went? Yeah, man,
3: it was was really great. So we did it on Friday. Um, We ended up having... Seven players plus myself, uh, so I did play in the event and run it. Even though the running pretty much ran itself because of how well organized it was going into it. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks to you and Adam, basically grinding out all the the hard details. I just got to do the fun stuff and show up and play, and it was great. Um, so basically, like, yeah, leading up to the event, uh, I was just kind of asking around, and there's a few people that had signed up officially, and then there's a couple I think that didn't. That I was like, hey, come on, you're here, you got to play, and like, oh yeah, okay, cool. And yeah, it was was awesome. So I brought uh, five 1,000-point lists. I I, I brought the uh, Asterians, Forge Fathers, Veermen, Enforcers, and Marauders. And I'm happy to report that all of them got to see the table in some fashion or or another. Uh, So basically, we had had the eight tournament uh, players and then we had a couple demo games going. Uh, So there was the demo game that Tim was running. So... um, Tim Lonis was playing, I think he was using the, geez, no, he, he used the And then uh, I think Russ Barnes borrowed my Enforcers for that one. Uh, I had Grant Fetter playing Marauders, and he has caught the bug, which is great, because he just sent me a message the other day that was like, hey, ever since Firefight at Masters, I can't stop thinking about Firefight at Masters. What do you think of this list? Blah! And just like all this stuff. So I think he's caught the bug. I think he really enjoyed it. So, yeah, we had the one demo game going, and then Tim did another one later. Um, And then just because we had some foot traffic, we had uh, two other guys who just kind of looked over and they're like, Oh, this is cool. Like, uh, is there any way we can play? I was like, absolutely. So then they got to play uh, Asterians versus uh, the Veermen. And I used the Forge Fathers for the, the tournament. And then Grant used my orcs. So everyone... All the armies that I brought got to be used and got played with, which is really what I was really happy about because, you know, I did bring a lot. <laughs> so it was good to see everybody playing. Yeah, we did three rounds, and then I decided a uh, day of that we were actually going to limit the rounds uh, to only four rounds per um, game. And I think that ended up per, like working out really, really well. Because it's only at a thousand points, everything's a lot smaller anyways, and so games tend to go pretty quickly, like you know there's not a whole lot of there's not a ton of different units on the board right so as you play firefight's still quite killy and so by the time turn five rolls around it's usually already figured out and so what i decided on was just to make sure that we were on time and that the games were going at the right pace is that I, i decided to limit the round time at the shorter points level to four rounds and i think that was all for the better so yeah, round one, we did kill. So we just did straight up kill. I thought it'd be kind of fun because we haven't done that. So I guess meeting engagement is what it's called. Round two, we did control. So it's on the four by four. So it's just four sectors. And then the last one, we did the uh, like dominate scenario. So king of the hill in the middle 12-inch bubble with the building and all that stuff. And it was a really great time. Um I'm super happy everybody came out and played. And I think everyone who did play ha- was having a real ball. Like, I just, it was just smiles all the way around and stuff dying left and right. And it was, it was really great. Yeah. Then we all had pizza between the second and third game. And that was awesome. So no one had to like, you know, figure out no one was fading. You know, no one was hitting that, that gamer wall. And it was, it was really great. So I have nothing but good things to say. Uh, I hope next time we do it, we can do even more points with even more people. Cause it was, it was really, really fun.
1: Yeah, and some people have commented on um the size and we were really w- Firefight is pretty new in America as far as the organized scene. I know in the UK they've been getting more tournaments in and they're 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 a good, you know, 6 months ahead of us in sort of organized Firefight. So our goal at Firefight Masters was to have a Firefight event but not stress about um how many people we had, Because of grand people were traveling there for masters. So it was hard to bring an arm, bring armies for multiple game systems. And it really was, we just wanted to get firefight in the front of the people who are community builders in their home areas, which a lot of the masters people are. So it was really just like a, a, uh, I guess a long commercial for the game where you could take a look. So do you think that was successful Were people coming by Tyler, taking a look and yeah, definitely. There was, some there
3: there's a lot of people that, you know, actually had firefight stuff and probably would have played if they got into town a little bit earlier. So a lot of people, you know, when they're going to Masters or something, they, they plan on getting there on Friday in like the late afternoon or early evening. And that's already when our event was going. You know, so like we started at two o'clock, I think. And so I think that was one of the bigger challenges is just, you know, people's travel schedules didn't quite line up for the the proper full event. I mean, obviously, we had plenty of tables. We could have had people just playing on the side, but I don't know how many people were um, planning on that. You know, um, but I think the biggest issue is just people showing up because uh, there's quite a few people that would talk to me and they'd say like, "Oh man, if I would have got here earlier, I, I would have loved to play in that." You know, "Oh, I got, I'm working on my Marauders or whatever it is." So yeah, overall, I think it was a pretty, pretty good event. It was, you know, obviously fairly small, but it was, a, it was a really kick-ass time, and I think everyone had a, a good time with it. So. Again, I'm just happy we got to do it, and I got to play three games of Firefight. So Totally. So who
1: who en- who ended up on top?
3: Uh, I'm rolling well, my eyes, if you can't tell. But it's uh, oh, geez. Travis Tim pulled it off. He, oh, he had a final round against Kyle Poole, marauder on uh, marauder violence. And it came down to, I think, one unit needed to die or survive, depending on which side of the table you're on. And like whatever happened was exactly what needed to happen. And so he squeaked out a win and it was wickedly close and i was really p- hoping for kyle <laughs> but uh-huh yeah travis uh you know he's, he's that's what he does so travis tim pulled it off i am man marcello got best painted with his gcps oh which is gorgeous awesome gorgeous yeah. me yeah um and so yeah it was, it was just a ton of fun but yeah unfortunately travis won again
1: <laughs> nice well not nice Um uh, no i'm just kidding good you know i just it was it was really great we were posting you know tyler was busy running the event so he was sending me photos and then i was posting photos during the day you know so it was just a, it looked like everyone was having a great time uh, i know i heard from multiple people who played in it really had a good time and it shows you to how fun the game is that people try it out and then they go home and they're making lists or they're, they're they're it's an easy bug to catch right both Dead Zone and Firefight, I think both fall under that umbrella, is that it's a really easy thing to get excited about.
3: Yeah, and there's like variable amounts of um, familiarity with the game already. Some people had already played it like Adepticon, Other people, like this is their first time. People were borrowing armies. People were trying new stuff. You know, they, a lot of people brought their own stuff, which is awesome. So it was, it was just a really good time. And uh, there's a little bit of something for everyone. You know, it only being three games was it worked out well because I got a nice little bell curve of like wins and losses and stuff. And so it was was pretty fun, pretty easy to manage.
1: Yeah. And as we go, I think we're going to see more, more and more, uh, us tournaments as we try to make things more robust. And, and again, it's such a, a new scene. We're still learning like what scenarios work, what sizes do people want, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I imagine at first firefight will be more part of like other events, right. Where we try to include firefight as we begin to grow it and then we'll sort of transition into standalone firefight events that's sort of what makes sense to me yeah and that
3: was kind of the main feedback from everyone who played is like man i wish we we had more points like this is this is great i could totally see why you'd want to play it like 1500 or whatever the number might be so yeah it's a really good event nothing but good things to say really awesome do you think a lot
4: of your firefight players are going to also be kings of war players or do you think you're going to draw more from Dead Zone or from third parties?
3: Uh, I think we are coming at it mostly from the Kings of War angle, just because that's the people that we know that are playing Manta games anyways. Um, if I have like a really strong Dead Zone scene, I'll definitely introduce people to it. So I think it just depends what games are being played in your area, honestly. Because a lot of people are trying to you know, scratch that itch. And especially with the 10th edition of the other games, I just... After watching some battle reports, I was just like, oh, God, this is why I don't play this game. <laughs> so hopefully we can recruit some of those people too. Yeah. Because um, it would be, you know, I, I feel like this is the game that is really what people want when they want a sci-fi six by 4 you know, game on the tabletop. I find
4: one of the hardest
3: thing to set up a
4: firefight tournament at the moment is to not clash with the Kings of War tournament because there are <laughs> just so many of them. Lots of people that want to play firefight. Um, it's just finding time to do both
3: yeah absolutely it's definitely a challenge Is not stepping on the other toes of
2: other games the uh local guys i've gotten into dead zone as kind of like their first miniature game are at that point now they're like oh like is there something beyond this as far as size and so i'm i'm getting ready to get them into um firefight and actually Ooh. the new starter set the two, two i know like one must play forge fathers the other one's already collecting um uh, vermin and i was mixing the names up in kings of war and firefight ratkin so like oh a starter set is that one perfect so i think uh that'll be in the near future is getting that starter set yeah that new starter set is awesome value holy cow like with
3: the vehicles and everything included it's it's crazy good i think
2: yeah i know the new gcps one on the discord somebody was like hey is this real like this seems like a really good deal is there like pits missing in the set like no, it's a full thing all right well. Guess I'm getting GCPS, so.
1: <laughs> Mantix <laughs> nice.
2: kits, uh, the, the deal kits are always uh, are, are a deal.
1: Yeah, Matt brings up a good question, right? And I think we're still figuring it out. I don't think we have the exact answer on how to build the firefight community in the United States. I think that we're, we're sort of figuring that out at we go, at, as we go. I mean, there are areas of the country, you see it at Adepticon, where they have big Dead Zone tournaments. We had a bunch of people play Firefight. And then there's other areas where Dead Zone is popular. Like, we have a lot of people playing Dead Zone in California and the Reno area, but there really isn't, a, uh, like, tournaments for it, right? Whereas there is, no matter where you go in the U.S., for the most part, there is a Kings of War scene, whether it's one GT a year, two GT years, or whatever. There is a certain amount of momentum, right, or inertia, that that ball is rolling down the hill. Maybe that ball is big, that that snowball is bigger in certain areas than others, but wherever you go, the ball is rolling. So that just sort of makes sense, I guess, to start with the people who are familiar with Mantic and how they do things. And I think there are a lot of Kings of War players, maybe, who want to dabble in sci-fi or who like sci-fi or whatever. So it just makes sense as sort of like it's a starting point. Maybe we'll go other places and we'll try to get other people from different game systems, but at least starting out, this is what makes sense. Well, awesome. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to talk the Firefight Roadmap for the rest of 2023 and get into the new Command Protocols book. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Duncan
4: Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Countercharge.
3: Charge.
2: Hey, this is Mike Rossi, fourth Mike on the Unplugged Radio podcast, Dash 28
3: contributor, giant nobody. Oscar the Grouch look alike, and you're listening to Countercharge.
1: And we are back. So one thing I like that Mantic did for Firefight, and I wish that they had it, and maybe they do, and I just haven't seen it. Simple like this for Kings of War, and I think it should be its own little tab on the companion or whatever. But they did release a 2023 roadmap. A nice little image you guys have probably seen it in the blog if you read the blog i don't know i i think the blog is like a, a thing of yesteryear do people like read blogs still Or or you I don't know, know I read this
2: one <laughs> it's, I, it's read, I read like like a blog. Blog. i think it's just like a repository of uh info uh, you know uh advertising information really sure I, don't think,
1: sure
2: I don't think it's a true blog in that sense but yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I just like Kyle's little videos. I wish Mantic, and they're starting to do more now, right? I think doing more short-form YouTube videos, I think, is a good idea. It just seems like so much content discussion and exploration of new products. It's like a visual medium, right? So if you yeah. have it, on, if you can show it, you know, show, show, don't tell, that that's cool to see Mantic trying to get more into YouTube spaces. Yeah, um, it's
4: good to see the videos that Johnny and, and Dan have been putting out. You can see that mantic you know from the not just um kyle but mantic from the uk are are starting to put videos out there as well a bit more regularly which is nice to see
1: well many hands make light work right it's hard when you're uh, uh you have too much going to one person so that's good that they're sort of uh continuing to grow that that arm of the company, right? Getting, getting the game and the models out in front of as many eyeballs as possible. So what we've already seen, right? August, we have uh, the rules update, which is the main thing we're gonna be talking about today. We have some new two-player starter sets. We have some new vehicles, right? Going into September, more vehicles, the companion update. November, we have new terrain. December, we have even more new releases. This is exciting, right? Uh, We—they've been doing so much Kings of War. I think we were sort of all—we were as firefight guys and sci-fi warpath guys. We were sort of waiting to see, well, what is their plan for the rest of the year? But I'm—I'm I, pretty excited. They're coming out with a bunch of a bunch of sci-fi stuff through throughout the whole fall. I
2: think. Yep, it, it's it's uh, it's good. I like the roadmap too. Just and they did it over. I think it's four months. Uh, like here's what's coming out, and it's it's good to keep keep the momentum going. I'm like, hey, there's this, and then this and this. Look forward to. Um, That's one thing I've seen kind of pop up recently on some Facebook posts and stuff is that Mantic has a tendency to kind of like, all right, we're doing this game for this block and we're doing this game for this other block of the year. And sometimes people people need that long term motivation of like, hey, we're updating this too. Like if you intersperse things instead of just doing kind of one game at a time, some people need that motivation.
3: Yeah, like you need that little, the meme of the little girl who says,
1: why not both? (laughs) Exactly, right? It's not just one new unit. You're going to do a couple months and really focus on a product. And we hear a lot on the show from audience members, uh, even though if you ask Mantic, they're like, well, we put it out there. It's in our blog. It's on our, you know, sometimes people just like, You just need to inundate them with information. So to me, having a roadmap pulled out in like a, a nice image like they've done that shows, like Kyle said, each month, this is what's coming out. Just makes it easier to refer to a player when they're like, oh, when's something coming out or what's coming out for Firefight this year or whatever. It can be like, oh, well, over the next six months or four months, here's the plan. So you have something you can always go back to to see uh, what's coming out in the order that you know and you know sometimes things get delayed we all know that but here is our here is sort of our treasure map you know for the rest of the year it was useful
4: having it as a an image as well because i think you see it on the blog but that image was then posted on facebook it was posted on discord it come up in different people's conversations so it's not just sitting on the blog it's kind of making its way around social media as well.
1: And that's why I bring it up. I think you're exactly right. Just not just doing a roadmap, but it's something so simple, doing a roadmap in just that style of image that they did to me is a perfect thing because in a second you can paste and copy, save an image and you're like, Oh, what's, what's Mantic working on for the next whatever months, bam, Bob's your uncle. Here you go. So I definitely recommend doing that. I'd love to see like a, that style roadmap for all their game systems. So that when they do an Adepticon presentation or they do a Gen Con or whatever, they can show that image for all their game systems and say, here's the Mantic roadmap, you know, for Kings of War this year. Here's the Mantic roadmap for whatever. So then that way we have a repository and just put that on the companion, have a special tab that says Mantic roadmap. Or when you're in the Kings of War section, have a click, a roadmap thing. Always update that for whatever the most recent roadmap. So then me, in in five seconds, I know exactly where to go to see what's coming out over the next year. I think that would be good to help build excitement. Yeah, all I know
3: is it's, it's working. I'm hyped. (laughs) Let's oh do yeah. This. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So first off, before we get into the the new command protocols book, I'm curious, and we're and we're going to talk a little bit about these units when we get into some of the faction discussion, because we have gotten permission from Mantic to share a little bit of the rules around some of the new models that they've uh, showed you guys. But just in general, because it's a hot topic, right? It's uh, uh, lots of opinions. We we never, as war gamers, we never run out of opinions, right? What do we think about Mantic sort of incorporating some models from their partnerships uh, from other companies? Like we've seen it right in the Wolverine tank for GCPS. We've seen it in the drones for enforcers. But let's start with you, Tyler. What do you think about uh, them expanding, trying to expand the universe by using those partnerships?
3: I think it's really interesting. And I think that definitely one of them is working a little bit better for me than the other and i think that the enforcer pathfinder uh, like collaboration with the gates of chips, ships i think that is excellent i think they look spot on they look awesome the other one i don't know i'm a little mixed on but i also have never seen the models in person for the you know the proper wolverine tanks i think it's a really interesting avenue and i, I can see why they're doing it from a financial reason but it's also It's also an interesting one because it does kind of blow open the doors a little bit if they can start partnering with, you know, they are, they have a lot of goodwill in the community. So I'm sure that this is hopefully the first of many that they can try to do, Uh, especially because the universe of Warpath and Firefight and all that stuff is such a vast thing that like you can pretty much justify almost anything, especially the farther you go out in the spheres of the worlds, like the crappier the tech gets and i think that's awesome so i I think from a a lore perspective i know it's been getting a little bit of flack from from some people saying that you know it doesn't match the style of the universe but it's like it it actually does match the style of the universe you just got to be in the right part of the universe you know you're just not in those first two maybe three spheres but if you're out in the outskirts like man they don't get the good stuff they get old rundown tanks and stuff so i think it's pretty interesting i'm really hyped for the the pathfinder vehicles i think that's a really cool option and uh i don't know i I think it's an interesting first step into like a a different kind of direction for everything and hopefully they're really successful and shows that people you know want to buy more stuff because if there's a bunch of people who buy a bunch of tanks they go oh maybe we can make some tanks of our own and people buy the hell out of them so you know I, I think it's a good first step i think it's pretty cool for the most part what about you kyle
2: yeah i think it's a it's a great opportunity for Mantic to add uh, a bunch of models to the game uh, that they otherwise wouldn't be able to because you know mantic as much as i love them and uh, on the new plastic is they're making are great they only have so much capacity they can they can make per year so using models that are already available or, or especially like i i haven't even seen the wolverine tank uh they're using until now. And I remember I've I've looked at some of the Gates Inventari stuff before, just kind of peek at the model range, but I know Warlord dropped that game and the company that originally made it or have it now, but it, I have never even seen somebody play it. So using models that are already available and in plastic is, is a fantastic way to add a bunch of stuff to this game without having the huge upfront cost Mantic has to eat to put those things in. And it makes us able to expand the game much faster. And then if that gets... Uh, I, I You know, just talking to everybody involved with Mantic and the different rules committees from different games and stuff like that. If you guys buy the models, especially these models, then there's incentive for them to make more. It's, it's kind of one of those chicken and egg things first. And this is the best way, I think, to to get ahead of that is, hey, here's a bunch of new models. Here's a bunch of new cool stuff. I know people have been going nuts for the new um, the mule, the new mule uh, upgrades and things like that. It's it's really cool. And if if people jump into that, Mantic go, okay, this is worthwhile now. We can then add like the Lancer tank everyone's wanted forever and things like that because it makes sense investment wise. They know they'll get their money back. So I'm excited. It's cool and opens an opportunities for a lot of other cool stuff.
4: You've you hit it on the head there. This This is an opportunity to have things in the game that we just wouldn't have had otherwise. This wasn't Mantic decided to partner with these people instead of going and making the Lancer. This game's going to grow. I'm sure it's going to grow. It's a brilliant game. And that will give Magic the opportunity to make new plastic kits and stuff, but they're really expensive. And at the moment, the game had a kind of imbalance in that only some factions had tanks. You know, if you were a forge father, army, you had tanks. If you were a GCPS, you had armored cars. So the fact that they've gone out there and they've, they've got this Wolverine tank whether you're a massive fan of the aesthetic or not, I personally like it, but that's just me. It puts another unit into that faction where there wasn't something like that. I I would look at the um, Enforcer Army and I would think, I want a ground vehicle. I, you know, I don't just want striders. I don't want aircraft. I want a ground vehicle. There's now a ground vehicle for um, Enforcers that there wouldn't have been because this sort of cycle round, other than those two vehicles, it's been taking the, the the plastic kits that exist and and putting resin parts on them. And with the Asterian vehicles, they were able to quite heavily change the, the silhouette of the models. But with a mule, you know, you can change the silhouette quite a lot, but you're still going to get a mule-based thing. So the fact that we've got those, which are awesome and a tank, and now oh, I can have a tank battle. You know, I, somebody can put in um, forge fathers on the table, and go up against somebody else and that has tanks that just wasn't, wasn't an issue, wasn't an option before. So it's from a game design point of view, from a balance
3: of list point of view, very, very useful. Looking at the book, I mean, I am so excited to start list building. All kinds of different stuff, stuff that I could never do before. Like you said, having ground vehicles for enforcers, for example, it's got my brain running, you
1: know? I think it's just really exciting. And I think one of the big things you guys have hit on, it's not like they're doing this in lieu of, they're doing this in addition to, right? Whereas to do a a hips hard plastic kit, for people who don't know, that's high injection plastic. That's where you, that's when you think of like a lot of their new plastics or you think of the traditional plastic you're, you're paying for the tools of that up front. So essentially all the cost is up front and then you recuperate the cost as you sell the kit. So you, it's a big initial investment. And I think that if these models exist and they're cool, it's like we're getting a bunch of stuff added into the game that if, if they didn't use these other models, wouldn't be in the game. Not, not to say that they wouldn't be in the game by the time they do new tanks next year or the year after, are they up? But, but it's like, you know, give it to me now, baby. And that's what the, that's what I feel like they're doing, which is we want you guys to have more options. We want this game to be as robust as possible. So here, let's give you options with some of our partners where you can have more stat lines, more vehicle lines. Here's some resin kits so we can add more, you know, since firefight is a little bit more limited of a a faction game and because it's you want to use Mantic models here's a way to create that diversity create that variance between lists you know make sure that you know people running factions aren't always using the same list so to me i feel like it's like why not it seems to me like just a great smart decision here you go you know and if you don't like the look of something i totally respect that you know do Get your conversion out. Do some conversions. I know a lot of people have been cutting off the rivets for their Wolverine tank because they want a more sleek look. You know, here's an opportunity to grow your hobby. Like we talked about, Kyle, you know, getting into those weathering pigments. Here's an opportunity if you want to do some some converting. But to me, it's hard-pressed to find out, like... I don't know. I think it's a nice gift that they've done and it makes sense to me and I'm all for it. You know, whatever gives us more list options and more diversity, especially when it's not they're doing it instead of but they're saying we don't have room in our production or the are the we're still waiting to find out or whatever to invest in hard plastic new tanks, but we're still going to give them to you because of our our community relationships and stuff like that. To me it's like a no-brainer.
4: Yeah, I think Ronnie was when Ronnie spoke at the Mantic Open Day last year. he was he was quite open. He said, "We're going to do very expensive plastic kits. This game has to grow." And then this player is saying, "Well, if this game's going to have to, going to grow, I want you know a developed line and and you've got well, which one comes first, and this kind of bridges the gap. The game is growing. And then Monty can make the investments. It's it's brilliant. I I like it.
1: No, that whole, like you said, Kyle, that whole chicken or the egg, do people get into a game because it's more, there's diverse choices and the models are great, or do you need to have the game have a little success and then you invest in it? Again, just like Matt said, this is a nice little in-between, right? Where it's here's some new stuff. Let's see how it does. Let's see how Firefight... You know, does it continue to have some buzz, you know, game of the year, people are playing it, people are getting excited about it. Does it continue to grow? And if so, then, okay, as a company, it makes financial sense for us now to invest money into this product line.
3: So Jeremy, would you say it just makes sense?
1: It does just make sense. And you know me, I'm super, uh, I've said on the show before, I've been, I've been called a positivity fascist uh, by uh, miniature gamers in the past. Uh, I won't tell you who, but I have received that in my direct messages before. And to me, it's like paint me with that stripe, baby. Uh, you know, this is I'm. I think this is a really smart idea. So let's. We're now going to transition into the book itself. So our goal for the talking about the command protocols book is we are going to do a little bit of spoiling, a little bit of rules around some of the stuff that you've already seen the models for. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, changes to rules. There's some good ones in that dead zone, the podcast. So make sure you go listen to them. Uh, We don't want to repeat on what they've said, right? Because that's, you know, they have some good stuff. We want to make sure audience members are going to listen to them, but we're going to take a look at a a couple of core rules. And then we're going to take a look at some of the factions and talk a little bit about some of the rules for, uh, you know, a new vehicle, or maybe a new command order, or just something light to, to to get a sense of where each faction is going. But first, Matt, I was hoping you can rift on these prior to lately, really, it was, okay, we're going to have sort of a, a clash book, this fall, that's going to in in the spirit of clash, right for firefight, some tweaks, some new rules. But in looking at this book, man, it really feels to me like a 2.5, like, you've really listened to the community and, and not just balancing, but maybe looking at some core mechanics and thinking about how the game could change. So, Has that sort of just evolved where as testing has been going on, you guys have really decided to do, to release this book as a, as a more robust update to firefight.
4: Yeah, it, that's exactly how it came about. We started off looking at it in the way that you'd look at. I mean, it's, it had started before I started on the rules committee, but when I came on, we were looking at it like it was a a Clash of Kings, like it was an update, and then you did the things that needed to be done. So you improved things because you thought, actually, this will make it better, this will make it better. And then you looked at it and started to get to the point where you were thinking, well, hang on a minute, if we're changing this and this and this unit, then we kind of need to change, we need to make some changes to that one. And this would make it better, this would make it better. You know, it's, it's Firefight. This is still Firefight second edition. It's still the game that it was this time last year, but with lots of improvements, lots of tweaks, lots of things that were just almost right. And that I hope we've just tipped over, but the number of little bits spread across the book got so big that it was sensible to pull it all together into, into what Mantic are now releasing.
3: Yeah. Because at the end of the day, as, as wonderful as firefight Rulebook is, it still had some first edition kind of things that needed ironing out and having a one-stop shop where you can just have it all i think is excellent like I, i'm really excited to have just the the book to have and then you know it, it just needs that ironing out and that's just what every game system needs i think in the first edition at least and that's really what firefight is you know the other game's completely different game from what it used to be so just getting those little irons and just getting it everything really nice and clean and pressed and man i think it it really paid off because I think this book is really, really, really nice and it's mm. so clean. So so one book became the logical
4: thing. I know some people looked at what was there before and said, but there was a rule book and there was a faction list book. What why wouldn't you just re-release bits? Well, if you're going to go out and buy a new faction list book, because there have been changes to the factions, Maison Land has added for a start, and all the other little changes and all these new vehicles, you'd have had to have got that. Then you'd have had to have got a rule book, a Clash of Kings type rule book for the core rules changes and the mission changes and and those sorts of things. Well, if you're going out and buying two books, one book's going to be cheaper, isn't it? And if it's got all the rules in it, it it makes it easier to look through. It makes it easier to go through. I mean, obviously, the easiest option is going to be the companion, and that can change, that would change with FAQs and everything. But if you want a book, this looks like the the only really sensible way of doing it.
1: Yeah. And in the scheme of things still, you're not, you know, you're not having to buy books monthly. It still is a, a once a year or once every eight months sort of type purchase, which to me, I don't have a problem. I'm old school as I posted on the uh, Countercharge Facebook group. You guys have seen my comic book library. I like having physical books. <laughs> so to me, I'm excited to buy a new book and add it. I have all my mantic books. And my, my signed copy of Drowned Secrets by Ben Stoddard all in a nice row on my bookshelf. So I'm psyched to see it. And I don't know, Kyle, you and I, we've done playtesting, and I know Tyler has too, but we've playtested Kings. We've worked on, you know, played tons of Firefight. It, second edition really was first edition, almost like some, like an open beta test. I don't want to quite say beta test because it was a completed finished product, but... I really feel like they've looked at this first sort of year of firefight playing and have been like, we don't just want to address point discrepancies. We want to look at what core game mechanics need refinement.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but yeah, we, it, the book went out to the public and people said, Oh, what about this and this and this? And cause it was a first edition. There were so many changes from uh, the previous edition of firefight that, uh, you know, and you can only play test so much. When you do a big rules change like that, you need everyone to kind of pitch in. So all those comments stuff have been taking in and then additional playtesting beyond that to really make this a, a tight rule book. And and I really think it, it, it reminds me if for people who played second edition Kings of War before the first clash of kings. I'm not sure everyone remembers, like, how the the oppressive things that were in the first, uh, second edition of Kings of War, like, defense six dragons, regenerating dragons, and flyers that you couldn't ground and jump over things. Oh,
1: it was horrible, man. I played against (laughs) Forces of the Abyss. I still still have uh, nightmares from trying to play against that army. Uh, Yeah, but but the the
2: core of the rules
3: were excellent, but there's just a few little things, right? It's like, oh, well, it's just that little dragon that needs to get grounded tweaking, and then that changes the game completely, but... To have that not in the, yeah, you, know, you can't just throw that in some book. Really, I think it works better if it's like written in the rules.
2: So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it this, this book is that first Clash of Kings update, basically with a little more sauce added. Um, and there's always the benefit of the the Mantic Companion. If you're a subscriber on that, you don't have to buy the book. <laughs> just just go on there. You have all all the arm lists will be updated. Uh, all the rules will be on there. Um, and I'm I'm like Jeremy, I like buying books and stuff like that. And it's also it's for me, it's really easy to get somebody brand new into the game. If I go, here's the book, read it. That's that's always been the biggest thing for me. Is one like having a book and just reading it in my downtime, it, it gets the lower. It just have that physical copy, a lot of people are still still into that. And it's really easy for me to transfer that and go, here, look at this. Um, but at the same time, if people are looking to save money or don't really care about that aspect, the it's really hard to beat the deal that the Mantic Panning gives you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I I, mean, I've been, we've been big fans of the Mantic Companion, you know, uh, No, been realized, you know, it's a living product, right? It keeps getting better and better. But to me, each thing they add, each refinement that they do, the value per dollar you spend on that gets better and better. Yeah. You know, and I know people have been loving the Mantic Vault. So I really feel, you know, Mantic has been trying to listen to the community and, and you know, give them what they're asking for. Well, one of the sort of elements that we see that I want to touch on is I know uh, people on both sides of this are, you know, are probably curious. I know in sort of second edition, one of the boogeyman's in in the room, right, was those combat assault armies that could just, there wasn't great answers to them. And what I mean by that, no matter what you did, they could do what they needed to do. There wasn't that agency. There's one thing of, of playing a playstyle that's good and effective, but every playstyle in the game, you should, I think, for a healthy, robust ecosystem, there should be a way for me to try to strategize the play against that. And we saw some difficulties around that, right? The marauders, uh, the uh, skyscrapers, right? Being able to charge you on the first turn, no matter where you go, or maybe some of the guys coming out of tunnelers and just total, totally wrecking you. So I think they've done... Uh, some interesting orders, in my opinion, not to take away from Assault Armies, but at least give you some options on how to play around them or against them. One of which is a cool new order, a new action that I'm going to read, go over just briefly, and then I'm curious to to think of what you guys uh, think about it. It's called Overwatch. So it's a short action. And essentially, you can use it as a short action. And if your unit has a combat uh, uh reaction basically for when you're charged you still get to use that reaction even if you're activated for the most part right in the in in the end right if you're if you're being charged and you have a uh charge reaction you can do that but not if you're activated so this gives you an option that if you want to make one short move you can then go into overwatch so if you're charged, you you at least can do something, right? So it's not like I'm going to wait till you activate that unit and then I'm going to charge it. You can't do nothing. I'm going to kill the whole unit. You have no response. What do you guys think about this new Overwatch action?
2: I think it's it's a great addition to and the next rule we're going to go over too, it, it, sometimes in Firefight you had a unit that only wanted to shoot. There was no reason to move or didn't want to move. And it's like, alright, I've shot and uh, the other ones, there's no reason to do that. Uh, so this is Beyond Hit the Dirt, this gives you another thing to do with a unit that's standing still to shoot, or uh, a, a, it makes better screens. You want to have a screening unit with a charge reaction of some kind, you can move them up and then give them this this uh, overwatch, so anything charging in now is to think twice. big part of this rule, too, is that there is a, a, like pinnings becoming more important in the game. And if a unit on Overwatch is pinned, it has additional negatives to its its charge reaction. So you can't just be immune to things like that, and it makes that dynamic between pinning and Commanders unpin things. And when do you activate these units, and when do you do stuff? Uh, it gives a nice, uh, even deeper counterplay aspect to Firefight that I'll enjoy.
3: Yeah, I think that's the the right word. There is counterplay. It gives just a new option for you know you know you can't get out of the range of that. You know, plague unit that's about to charge you, but now you can make them at least think twice because you'll be able to blaze away as they come in, or you can take the additional minus one modifier if you're going to take controlled fire. It just opens up a lot of doors to not getting stuck in in that that little gameplay loop where it's like I have to, I'm just waiting until the guy can't move anymore, and then it's then it's just game on. Then I can do whatever I want because then that also encourages people to take a bunch of garbage units that don't actually participate much in the fight. And this this kind of just Relegates that to an afterthought. So now now it's just way more engaging in terms of what's going to do what and when. And that's just what Firefight's all about.
4: I think as a as a rules committee, you have to be very careful. You see a problem, you see something that's being done that's making the game less fun. And you have to deal with it in a way that doesn't take away people's agency. So if you're seeing some close combat builds that have been very, very powerful, you need to find a way or overly powerful, let's say. You need to find a way of dealing with that without just making those close combat units rubbish. Those things are supposed to be good when played properly, but you didn't want something that was good all the time. And I mean, there are three rules here that kind of interact. So basically, we've got the Overwatch action, because there was a time when people had started to work out, there were some armies that had very, very cheap units, like rat swarms, and you could spam those, you could activate those 10 units first, you could just wait out your opponent, and then you could play almost your entire turn. Turn and everything they have was activated, and that's when you suddenly appeared from cover and, and you played like a one player game against them. It almost wasn't fair. Um, but we didn't want to stop people being able to do that, you know, we didn't want to stop them ha- being able to have those horde armies because that would just be stupid. So we looked at it and went, Well. How do we make it so that a small elite army that is based on shooting still stands a chance to hold off a a, a horde melee army without stopping people taking a horde melee army? And this almost allowed people to say, okay, you're kind of using up your turn on that cheap unit you don't want, but I'm going to reserve the right, I'm going to reserve my short action and I'm going to use it later on when I need it so I don't get totally destroyed. But you can still deal with that because you can still pin me. You can still throw something else in to tie me down and, and then hit me with something else. There are still options, that I'm not totally out of the game. It corresponded with another keyword we put in called auxiliary. Now, a lot of you have seen Mantic have just put out um, a blog post on how army building works. And one of the things problems we had was units like... Rat swarms and engineers and things like that—the the very very cheap troop choices—and if you moved them into specialist or support, they were never going to get taken because they were totally outshone by far more useful and far more interesting um, choices. There had to be a troop, but if you left them in troop as they were, they just became incredibly cheap and easy unlocks. So. We put an auxiliary keyword in which means that they still as a troop as in you don't need anything to unlock them um but they themselves don't unlock anything else so they're like a, a unit to the side so if you combine that with overwatch people can still have those horde armies with lots of um cheap troops but they can't just play the what was getting a name of beta strike where you would just spam something wait out and then charge the other opt thing was that long action that, that um, sorry short action um, overwatch it was one of the ways of us trying to make it so that you could have more choices of what you could do. you know a game's more fun if you've got more choices and um, I think it was Kyle just said you know if you're a sit back and shoot unit and all you were going to do was sit and shoot, you would quite often waste one of your activations because what else were you going to do? You were probably in cover, so hitting the dirt made no difference to you. You weren't going to move because you were already where you wanted to be. There wasn't much to do about it. So we also changed the hit the dirt order, the hit the dirt um, action. So now it's not just being in cover, it's just an extra minus one to hit. So there is something to that there is a worth to it, but it's got a downside. If you hit the dirt you are now more vulnerable to melee so if there are some melee armies out there and they're looking at their opponent and their opponents hit the dirt they're, they're they're on the ground they're they're cowering yes it's harder to shoot at them but if you can get them in melee they are now even weaker than they were before because it's quite easy to hit somebody who's laying on the floor um,
1: yeah that makes thematic sense right yeah.
4: yeah so yeah there's things to help shooting armies but there's also things and ways that the melee armies have got to cope with all those things nothing is a we want this to be more powerful than this we want to put tools in players hands so that if they play their strategy well they can cope with anything we don't want a situation where anybody looks at the table and goes i can't beat that and there was a danger of that with some very skewed lists
1: yeah and i love that it's not reducing the power in combat like if they get to you they're still and, and that's what they should right They should be able in a game where there's this much shooting, a sci-fi game, when the stuff gets to you in combat, it should do a lot of damage. So I like Mm. how how do we soften that out so Jeremy doesn't get tabled on turn three by skyscraper spam and then go cry in the bathroom. You know, these are ways to uh to to look at that, right? Of how do we sort of polish out these little, these rough areas, right? Of gameplay that's not interactive, gameplay that's not very fun. Uh, because in the end we want a fun game. So, and I think that's so true. I'm sitting on an objective, right? I'm going to shoot. And now what else am I going to do? Nothing. Or in the next order, we're going to take a look at, which is steady aim, which is a new action where this is now a long action. So again, it's a way to make sure you're utilizing both your actions, which is if you perform a shoot action, it's a long action, but you ignore any one single modifier of minus one to hit. So if someone's in cover and hit the dirt, right? So they're getting minus two to hit, you get to take rid of one of those minus ones, right? So again, it's steady aim. It's a long action. It's not amazing, but it's, it's, it's a way that I have to react to what you're doing. It's creating that back and forth that, that, uh, action reaction style gameplay where, where you feel like you have agency over what, what your army is doing.
3: And it rewards, you know, the shooting armies that are able to get into the position they want to be in. It rewards you for doing that. Instead of just, you know, now you're just like everyone else. You just happen to be where you want to be. Now you can actually get a little bit of bonus out of it because you're going to be hitting a little bit better. And I think that's a really interesting idea because, you know, a lot of the really fun tactical decisions that come up in this game are from the fact that you have multiple actions per unit. You know, it's not limited to the, this is the movement phase. This is now the shooting phase you know, you can shoot and then you can move and that's a huge benefit. Or now you can just stand still and shoot a little bit better. Like, is that worth not moving? I don't know. That's for you to decide. And I think mm-hmm. just overall, all the counterplay stuff that has been added into this book, even though it's it's not overwhelming, it's just like little changes here, like the hit the dirt thing or like you know, like I just said, with the steady aim, it's like just little things that make you have to think that little extra step more of like, oh, is this worth the risk? Is this worth the reward? And it's it's just really, really interesting. It's really got my brain going at 100 miles per hour.
4: Everything was about those counterplays. So, like I just said, you know, hit the dirt can now stack with cover. And you can say, oh, well, now the person in cover, they're, they're really hard to get. Well, no, because they're worse off in mellow than they used to be if they choose to take it, but they haven't got to choose to take it. Well, I'm a shooting army, how do I deal with them? Well, you've got this, this long action to shoot them um, that can get rid of that. So there is a counterplay. But it's a minus, it's ignore one minus one modify. It's not plus one to hit. And there's a difference there because if you're shooting something in the open, that action doesn't help. It's ignoring a single minus one. Um, it's also a long action, which means you're not moving with it. And we, what we actually discovered in play testing is, it's a nice thing to have but you use it less often than you think you would because the game is and should be about movement, not just about a static gun line and even shooting armies had to move, they had to get objective. So many of the missions are score every turn missions, not score last turn. So, you have to be moving, so you, it it has its play. plus, of course, it can't be used on my mind's slow like, reload. yeah, it can't be used on slow weapons, weapons that would have been a long action anyway. So this doesn't suddenly turn some of those heavy weapons that were already quite powerful into amazing killing machines. This is only really applicable to the the mid range weapons anyway. So we've tried to make it, so, yeah, we're giving new tools to people, we're giving you more choices because the game should be about choices. We're getting ways of dealing with things that you felt were hard to do, but your opponent's going to have tools to deal with what you do as well. It should be strategy, not just I've picked the best list.
1: And you, you bring up, it is a really big distinction, right? The difference between plus one to hit and removing one minus one modifier, again, it's huge. So that means if you're in the open, it's not like now I'm hitting you better. It's me reacting to you using cover, you choosing to hit the dirt. You know, do I have enough shooting where you want to hit the dirt? Or do I have some stuff that can get at you and fight? So you're worried about doing that. It's it's all stuff that is rules based around making the movement important, which, and that's something that's always been in sci-fi games. You sort of just sit up and try to shoot your opponent off before they go. And one of the things I love, about firefight with the alternating activations is that sort of core DNA of I go, and now you're having to react to what I did and now I'm having to react to what you did. And it's this constant elegant uh, ballet almost or dance back and forth where we're trying to react to what you're doing. You're trying to react to what I'm doing and all these little uh, variations or whatever are, are the tools at which we sort of go around this, this dance together. Okay. Another thing that I think is interesting um, as we sort of, uh, wrap up our sort of preview of some of these rules is I know one issue that we uh, are, are one thing that people have sort of commented uh, is uh, like really strong, powerful assaults out of vehicles or a really strong, powerful starts from so far away, right. That have uh, that can get on you so fast where if you're hiding, there's really not much you can do. There's been a change to the line of sight rule and how it affects uh, charging and combat. So we now know if you have an unhindered charge, right, you get plus one to hit that's uh, still in the game, right? That's just a part of combat. If I have an unhindered charge, it's uh, plus one. And part of an unhindered charge, right, is having a line of sight on your um, enemy. So what they've done now is, if you do not have line of sight, or your line of sight is blocked to what you're charging, you're getting a minus one to hit and minus one to hit your target, right? So which I think is really interesting, right? So it's making that if you do want to charge out of a vehicle or charge from uh, not seeing your opponent, that you are paying. It's not like you're just going to fight per normal and just not get the extra bonus, but you're having to actually pay a penalty. What's our thoughts? Let's start with you, uh, Tyler, because I know you play Ratkin a lot, so you have Tunnelers, right? And you have... So this is going to affect an army that you play. What are your thoughts on this rules change?
3: I love it. It's honestly one of my favorite changes in the entire book. Uh just book wide. I think it's it's healthy for the game. It also limits just like if if it really rewards again the movement, right? If you're if you really now you really have to work to get that unhindered charge and then the bonus is really big, right? And then if if there's a unit that's around a building or something, you can still reach them, but if you didn't start being able to see them, this is that minus one and I think it's just really healthy for the game because you know, some of those units that are, you know, just popping out of a tunnel or just running around a building really fast, like, they're just brutally good. And, you know, I I feel like in my head that they, they shouldn't be able to, you know, just not know what's around the corner, dash around the corner and take no sort of negative. And I love that there's a negative now. I think this lines up a little bit better with Kings of War as well. You know, it really kind of puts that idea of like hindered charge, like, oh, maybe this is minus one. I and then it just limits the power of of some of those just crazy transports. Like marauders were amazing at doing this with like a, a mule. You could just dart a mule up there and then dart dudes out of it, and it's just like a, it was a little bomb of dudes that you couldn't do anything about. Like they would just go in there and slice and dice everything up. And now it's it's not like that, and I think that's really healthy for the game. Big fan.
2: I, I think it's one of those things. I think Tyler just hit it on the nose. <laughs> I can't really. I don't. I can't think of much else to uh, follow up on that.
4: It was one of those things where, again, you saw a problem, but you you didn't want to to, to overreact. You, 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 there was discussion about well, should all hinder charges be minus one to hit? It makes it sound more like Kings of War. It, it brings you in there, but there was a danger then. Well, if you do that, you've just nerfed every single melee action in the entire game. Um, you know, everything. If every plus one became a nothing, and every nothing became a minus one, and you just moved the whole of of charge charges over you've just scuppered all of those melee armies then you've got to rebalance and rewrite basically all of them but there were times when somebody would be sitting down looking at their army and saying okay well you've got leafers in a mule um you can charge pretty much anywhere on the table how can i stop you and the only option was the second story of a building that was it um because you could hide around a corner you could put troops in the way, you could screen and block and do all of those things, um, but you couldn't stop that act, that happening. Well, you still can't stop it happening, but at least now, if they're charging across the board, out of a building around a corner, at least there's a minus one to deal with rather than the plus one. It makes it, and you know, and you might still have your assault reaction, even if you've activated. So you stand a chance against that, but it's still viable. Um, You know, we we haven't taken that action out of the game. And if you allow an assault army to charge you when they can see you, they're still going to hit you without a modifier. And if you allow them to charge you without even having terrain in the way, you know, a clear charge, they're going to punch you incredibly hard. And melee is still very decisive, you know, it has to be. If someone's going to take all the trouble to run across the board with a close combat weapon to punch you, Against an army with guns, when they get there, they need to actually do some damage.
1: They need you know, to punish, you, to, right? You need to it, be they punished. Need to. Yeah, a hundred percent, absolutely. Well, there
4: 100%. has to be there has to be something so that the player that's being charged kind of looks at it and goes, "Well, there's something I can do. I can hide around the corner. It means I can't shoot you. You know, there's a negative to me hiding my unit behind this tall piece of terrain. I'm not shooting you, but at least I feel like I've made a decision there, and I think." the real problem, and it didn't happen as often, and none of us are quite sure why it didn't happen more often, and that was that you could decapitate an army by taking out its command options really early on, because that whole, you know, leaper in a mule, um, reanimation division with a few security guards in a mule, all of those sorts of things, you could hit command options Turn one, in some cases, depending where they put them. Turn two, um, yeah, that's not the be dice.
3: exactly what Travis yeah. does a lot. <laughs> so now <laughs> you can say,
4: "Well, my command choice is I'm going to hide them. You're going to get at least a minus one to hit them. But my shooting unit, I can't risk hiding them. I'm going to have to put them in the open because otherwise they're going to do nothing. And and then you might hit without a modifier. And then this unit, well, it is caught out in the open. There's nothing I can do about it. You're going to get plus one. So the melee is still powerful and it couldn't be we couldn't nerf melee as a whole but we had to deal with those knee situations where it just didn't feel fair um and i think even some of the players using it would kind of look at me and go yeah i'm sorry oh yeah I mean, up and everything died turn two
1: i think you're exactly right uh uh And, you know, we mentioned him a bunch on the show, but I think it's a a clear example of it. You know, Travis looks sad when he was killing two thirds of my army on the second turn with his skyscrapers. Like, I know this is lame as he's rolling the dice. You know, he realizes it. I mean, I think you can realize in a game we've all we've all this is not our first rodeo when it comes to miniature gaming. Right. You know in miniature gaming when you're using something that's too good, right? Usually you can be like, yeah, I know this is this is probably too good, but it's in the game and, you know, I'm building a competitive list and I got to use what's available to me. And again, this is not making combat units less powerful. It's just giving me an option to meaning like if I hide behind a building and don't shoot you, at least you're going to have a little harder time to kill me, you know? Yeah, so I like that 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 idea of don't reduce its a baseline power, just let's put some some sliders, some ways to affect uh, uh, balance in, in the actual gameplay itself. I think it's just so smart. Another thing we're seeing, which I think is good, uh, there is we're not gonna go into it here. Make sure you buy the book. Uh they've done some effort into clarifying terrain, talking a little bit about the amount of pieces that you should maybe have out on a board, whether it's four by four or six by four, or or maybe Matt, speak to a little bit, what was sort of the, the impetus or the 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 motivation to sort of get in there and clarify, do a little work on terrain?
4: I think it was a loss of the amount that we were seeing. You know, you see a lot of pictures of people playing and I'd see a few people were posting. and I'd go, oh, I played this game and the whole game was over by turn two. And I looked at their board and I went, that board's rather flat and empty. I'm not surprised that that was over turn two. Um, and then you see people with incredibly complicated terrain setups and you'd think, I bet you're spending an hour playing Schrodinger's unit trying to work out where that unit actually is in that very large piece of terrain that could be anywhere. So I think we've we've suggested reasonably large amounts of terrain, not huge amounts. Um, We've suggested a variety of terrain. And again, I think what was happening is a lot of people were playing were, were dead zone players that would take their dead zone terrain, spread it over a six by four, take something out, and then get into weird situations because the terrain perhaps wasn't based or, or something. Um, and I think we're giving it s- some slight changes to the way the buildings work and suggesting slightly more things. I think, again, it's still going to come down to a community. You know, as a Kings of War tournament organizer, I don't put a hill in the deployment zone and the book never told me not to do that. That was just because I know that if I put hills in the deployment zone, I get players saying to me, why did you do that? Um, And the map packs that existed online, um, the Epic Dwarf one and um, uh, Shroud of the Reaper ones like that, they were a useful resource. So we just wanted to give just a little bit more advice with what people could do and slight more clarification on some of the terrain types without putting in something saying thou must have two of this, two of this, two of
3: this, and, and two of this. Also in this book is a really, really handy-dandy chart that tells you exactly what kind of terrain interacts with what kind of unit. Absolutely love that. Just streamlining it, making it super simple. So if you say, oh, I have a vehicle that has tracks on it, what can he go through? What can he ignore? What can he uh, you know, drive over? And then there's just a beautiful little chart that summarizes it all for you big fan of that just makes everything a lot easier so
4: that was so much more work than you'd realize
3: (laughs) oh i bet (laughs) (laughs) it took so long well i i appreciate it because i think it it really does you know make that a lot snappier you don't have to flip through and then read oh wait where's wheeled Oh okay hold on so if he's wheeled but he's you know driving over difficult is that blah 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 so it's just in a chart boom done love it and then the other (laughs) thing while i while i have everyone um i just want to say that the change to building roofs is something that I've literally never stopped doing even <laughs> since since this game is in beta. I've always had it so that you can just climb up the side of a building like you can in Dead Zone. And now that's in the book. Uh, I don't know who decided to make that official so you don't have to go into the building and then pop up to the top. You can still do that if you want. But the fact that you can go up to the side of a building, climb up like you can in Dead Zone, mwah, chef's kiss. I could I could give you a giant hug right now. I don't know who it was, but I love it, love it, love it.
4: Yeah, that was one of that was the one way of dealing with an LA army that flipped so far the other way that if you were on the roof and there were no stairs, you literally couldn't be charged. Unless you were playing your forces and then they would just jump up with their with their anti
3: packs. But Well, and it, oftentimes you're on the exact same terrain that you were on in dead zone. And then you'd have the same models that could do it in dead zone. You can climb up a cube in dead zone, no problem. Every character can do it. And then in Firefighter was like, Oh wait, I don't know how to I don't know how to. Climb it's like that. once they get That's, enough buddies must, around, they f- they, forget yeah. <laughs> to, they
1: forget how to. to yeah, do. That,
3: it. that literally never made sense to me, and I've always played yeah. it exactly how it's written in the book. Now, and I just I'm so thankful to see that. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
4: It stops you stressing looking around for uh, the ladder parts that come and the stairs parts that come in the train crates. I used to hoard them. Um, I saw somebody once had got hold of a load of them, and they were handing them out for Kings of War to use to balance Kings of War units um, on hills and stuff. I just looked at them and I thought, oh, you've used those. I need those to stick on my buildings because without those, the buildings can't be climbed to the roof. Well,
3: now you just can. Which is just you know? silly first edition jank. Yeah,
1: it's the stuff that it we just know. Ironed it out. Yeah, you played a couple times and you're like, oh, this is a little wonky. You know what I mean? It's 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 the smoothing out, the refinement of all these little things. Is that what you mean, Tyler?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Between that and the chart, and just there's little things like that scattered throughout this book that I just think really make it of great value and like a good reason that it. Like it justifies its own existence just based on those things that just make everyone's lives easier and makes the game make like way more sense.
4: I mean, that chart you talk about how it interacts with wielding and stuff. Some of those are actual changes. I mean, it's one of the one of the great things that Richard did. We we looked at it and went, oh, hang on a minute. We've now got a load of vehicles that literally cannot cross certain types of difficult terrain. Um, and I get why you can't drive a mule at ninety miles an hour through a forest. You know. You're not a scout trooper from, from Star Wars. But is there a reason why you're finding it just as hard to go over a field or things like that? Uh, a track can do things. So there was a, a little bit of splitting up between different heights and different types of terrain about what wheeled and tracked can do. But then it's all in a table. So you just literally go, my unit has got wheels. It's a vehicle. This is the Thank you, This ma'am. is what they can do.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah, I love it. You know, it's good to think about this because, you know, uh, terrain matters in these games, right? We're not playing on an empty board. You know, we need the terrain to have the the type of game experience that you want. Nice little refinement there. So there's tons of other stuff, you know, little tiny refinements, little bits of changes. But we're going to let you guys explore that when you get the book and, and dive deep in. So we're going to take a break. And on the other side, we're going to be talking all things factions. So we'll be right back. Hi,
2: I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Counter Charge. Hey, this is Ash Barker from GMG, and you are listening to Countercharge.
1: And we are back. So for this section, we're just going to be looking at the main factions in Firefight uh, and just picking like one small piece to little, have a little conversation about, uh, mostly linked to the models that they've released. Uh, so uh, again... There's so much juicy awesomeness in this book. We're, we're giving you the amuse-bouche, right? The appetizer of some of this stuff. So if you like the, the, like what you're hearing in your ear holes, you know, get the book. One thing, one big change that we've had, and I'm curious to hear you rift on it, Matt, is uh, factions now have what's called trademark weapons. Um, we won't go through all of them. But for example, Asterians, you could guess right, uh, no rifles is is a trademark weapon. And when you guys are looking in the book, you'll find certain orders now are only linked to trademark weapons, i.e. not being able to use your super buff shooting orders on your special weapons, right? You can use them, but it's more on your basic stuff. So again, we see, you know, uh, looking at was, was using, you know, certain orders on your, your awesome missile launchers numerous times in one turn, you know, that, that was pretty good, maybe a little too good. But can you riff on that, Matt, a little bit, this, the, this idea of trademark weapons?
4: Yeah, it was another one of those things where you saw something you wanted to deal with, but you didn't want to deal with it in a way that was so dramatic, you made it useless. Um, so you'd look at some of the orders and you'd say even though now we're limiting orders to, to one use of each order per turn, when they were played on some units they were perfectly balanced, and when they were played on other units, they were horrific. And there were a few orders that had the kind of the prototype of this, that had, would say, you know, like no chargers, for example, can only be used on this, this, and this weapon. And you could have gone through all the orders and said, well, you can't, you can use it, but, but you can't use it on that. You can't use it on that. You can't use it on the 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 bomber because it's already quite powerful and you you can't use it on this one so what we did was we went through every faction and said okay what are the the commonly used weapons that are sort of like stereotypical for that army not massively powerful the the basic ones they're going to use that you want the orders to to be acting upon Um, pick those all out give them all the trademark keyword. And then you can build orders that are quite powerful without worrying that someone's going to take that powerful order, add it to an already powerful unit, and create something that was broken. Or like you said, a missile launcher, maybe now you play an order on a unit and maybe all the genling rifles shoot better with an extra attack or something, but you haven't just given the missile launcher an extra attack. That kind of thing.
3: Yeah, that touches on another one of my favorite changes in this book is that you can only do one faction order per round and i think or, or you can't you can only just use that one the one time so if you use Gora indoors you can pick one unit and use it but then you can't go to the next unit and say oh they're gonna get Gora indoors and i think it just makes the decisions a lot more interesting and keeps the that same dynamic like you know you can't just do the no-brainer like oh well this was a great order i'm gonna use it on everything you know it just makes you have to think outside the box and like really use the tools and the tool belt so big fan love it and I mean, then the trade the trademark thing is cool too
4: The obvious example was was Firestorm, wasn't it? I used to play, I still play Enforcers, and I was never massively short on command dice as Enforcers. And it got to the point where I forgot that Enforcer Operatives didn't shoot with plus one AP and weight five, two, or whatever it gave you, because I used it every single shoot action. Um, Yeah, because because why wouldn't it? Because why not? And it got to the point where, like, well, you might as well just make it their play stats and we didn't but you know it had got it had got too good whereas now you say okay you can use you can use a good order you can use it once and we haven't got to dumb down the order because it's going to get spammed we can still make it reasonably good but at least you're only going to use it once so it's not going to break the game
3: yeah and the order should have a cost you know that's what you're paying the command for and then it should have the the benefit but yeah if it's just a no-brainer where it's like well of course then the, that is an issue you know it's like It's like taking an auto-take unit in any game, where it's like, oh, that's an auto-take, I have to take that, obviously. i got to start the list off with four of those, and it's like, well, (laughs) that's probably an issue.
4: But then we added in more orders, so you're not going to run out of things to do. Plus, of course, if you've got... This is faction orders only being used once per turn. If you've got command orders with multiple commanders of the same type, um, then you can use those command orders more than one time. So... And uh, some of the playtesters, when they first looked at it, said, oh, does this mean I'm going to run out of things to do with my command dice? Am I going to be left with loads of command dice at the end? And we've come to the conclusion, no, it very rarely happens, especially as we've realized that pinning is really an important mechanic in this game. Needing some command dice left over at the end to unpin is important. But between the sort of five, six, I think it's six mostly, faction orders that you've got, plus the command orders that you've got, you're still, there's still an economy where you're not going to get to do everything because you will run out of points.
1: Well, I mean, I felt that playing Forge Fathers is, it's just like every turn for the Forge Star, for the Forge Star, for the Forge Star, where, and that's a faction that even has, that is not known for its command point generation, right? But still it's like my command point economy was, who am I going to use for the forge star on and how many times am I going to use it? So at least this is making you think about, you know, you know, what other orders do you want to do? You know, learning, you know, where, how to, to to spend those points. What's your thoughts on this, Kyle?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's a fantastic change to the game and it gives more um, leeway with the RC to make cool new uh, faction orders or or new trademark weapons, things like that without, making the making certain units just go bonkers. But I think it adds an emphasis on making uh, the command aura abilities more important. Uh, Cause now those are persistent effects that can affect a large portion of your army. And that'll make it like, okay, do I do the specified one now that only affects the, the trademark weapons or something like that, or do something that's, it's going to maybe cost more, but I can affect everyone now. And, and I thought, I felt, I felt that happening sometimes playing firefight is like, I rarely use command orders. Uh, command auras, and it just went with the faction order instead. So now that you're limited in how many, th- uh, you know, one uh each faction order only once per turn. Maybe you want the aura, pay the points for the aura, and make sure your army is is benefiting off at the most. Yeah,
3: no, I, I I dig it for sure. At the masters tournament thing, Kyle Pool had little cards that had each faction order on it, and then as he would need to play it, he would just put the card down by the unit, and it made life so so good. I want Mantic to make it. I told Kyle Pretzel Twinkie to make it. I really hope that happens because it makes the gameplay just so efficient and so clean that you can just like have your command deck of stuff that you can play. And that way it's all in your, in your hand and then you know yeah. which ones you've used. Like, oh my god, it just made life so much easier. So I really hope Mantic does that. If they don't, I'm gonna make my own. But yeah,
1: I'm gonna so. make my own too, bro. What you sent me pictures of that, and it's like yeah. if they're not gonna make them. I think it's a great idea because then you're not having to look at your army list and look at all the separate entries to know what your your orders are. You just have them in your hand. Yeah, and, and then you pick time... you
3: pick the command ones that you have, yeah. like, and then it's just like wham bam, and it's so so clean. It's just oh my god, I don't know and why I didn't you can think only of use that
1: one... that one once per turn when you play it you just put the card down it's now yep. down you no longer can use it that turn because you, you've played it yep. it keeps track of what are the orders that you've already used this turn no i think it's really smart yeah i love it cool well, we're gonna now take a look at, at some of the factions themselves and like i said we're just gonna take a look at maybe an, uh, an order here or there or some models uh, and again just giving you guys a little taste not spoiling everything as to make sure to get the book um, but let's start with Asterians. you know they're getting a- along with some of those resin bits right they're getting a couple new class support vehicles they're getting the assassin and the escort these are up for pre-order now if you want to pick them up uh let's talk about the escort forced you know shoots on fours anti-grab controlled fire evade shield four it's a vehicle Uh, It comes with twin no cannons, you know, range 18, four dice, AP1 pinning. Pulse Bombard comes with three dice, blast, D2, indirect pinning. But you can swap in the Pulse Bombard with a heavy fission beamer or a Plasma Vortex. Um, So again, just giving you um, another sort of uh, support piece. The Assassin is similar. Uh, Assassin's a little bit more expensive. It's coming with... um, Shield 4, uh, it has stealth, which is interesting, right? A vehicle with stealth, that's sort of its thing. And it's coming with a railgun, which is a range 48, right? Which is a big range. Range 48, two dice, AP4, uh, marksman, anti-tank, and uh, devastating. Um, which, have we
2: talked about devastating yet?
1: I don't think we have.
2: Yeah, I don't think we have, if you want to, if we can go and explain that.
1: Yeah, go for it. Does someone know that off the top of their head? I don't yeah. know. I... Yeah,
2: so basically it's, um, in, it used to be like anti-tank weaponry would have like three or four dice to represent, you know, doing multiple damage to a, a large vehicle. Uh, but it also kind of made anti-tank weaponry really good at killing everything because it had multiple dice. Um So a lot of the bigger anti-tank weaponry, heavy-hitting stuff has been switched over to some form of devastating, uh, which means when you hit the target, uh, it does that many wounds to a single model. Uh, So if it's devastating, like in this case, D2 plus one, it'll do two to three wounds to a single model. So it's very good at killing uh, multi-wound stuff, like vehicles and peacekeepers and uh, leaders and stuff like that. But if you're shooting... Uh, little rat men, uh, the warhead's going to kill one rat guy really bad, but it's not going to spread throughout the unit.
1: Yeah. Weapons are no longer all things for all, you know, a man for all seasons, right? They're no longer all things for everything. You have to think about what, what am I going to shoot with and what am I shooting at?
4: I'd say it was one of the things that made guns like the Hugh cannon on the um, Hulk so powerful because it would kill heavy infantry, it would kill infantry just as well. Um, whereas now at least you've got that thing where if I'm shooting this against a tank, it's mathematically the same as it was before, but it's probably half the number of kills on an infantry unit. So I can't just spam Hugh cannons and um, those kinds of guns. I've got to
3: take some anti-infantry as well. Oh, well, and one of my favorite things about this is it also adds a level of differentiation between weapons, you know, in the first iteration of this book, you know, when you look at the Forge Fathers, you look at the magma cannon, you look at the missile launcher and you go, well, I would never take the magma cannon ever in my life because the missile launcher does everything just better. But now with devastating, it's like the magma cannon has kind of its own lane to be in. And it's not the only list where that happens in, but that's a decent example is like, it kind of adds a little bit of differentiation and now it's like, Oh, this is a dedicated vehicle killer or big monster killer. And then it just kind of adds, you know, another layer layer of complexity and like another choice, another thing you want to decide on.
4: It was something I noticed when it came to writing totally new weapons. So, um, when we had the the uh, Pathfinder drone the, the model from warlord, obviously the gun on top of it didn't perfectly match an existing mantic archetype, so it became one of the one of the options became like a new weapon some fitted quite nicely um and I was looking through the the possible keywords to put to that weapon, thinking, well, how do I make this not just another fusion weapon how do I make it not just another um version of a you know of any other existing type of gun but so having an extra keyword that just gives us that little bit of option to say it's like that gun but it's not quite the same without throwing in loads of new keywords and then just drowning people under rules because we were very very conscious that one of the things that makes these games you know romantic games and firefight fun to play is that there aren't too many rules to learn but you need that balance where we wanted just enough keywords a couple of new keywords that would make a real impact without drowning people under another a4 page of rules that they had to go away and learn
1: and i like the distinction between the chroma force platform and the escort and the assassin so the chroma is still there but the chroma right it has an extra health and one gun whereas the escort and the assassin they have that twin no cannons and um slightly less health but they'll have uh stealth or um uh targeting systems because they have multiple weapons so it, to me it's like you have the basic chroma you know it's like your peanut butter your 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 turkey and cheese and then if you want to go escort or assassin for like different play styles it's giving you some support options for whatever play style you're wanting to to uh, flush out in the army along with some new models to to play those styles
4: yeah, we needed to put some sort of distance between say say the Chroma with the super heavy fishing beamer and the assassin. They're both Asterian hover vehicles that are good at shooting against tanks. And you needed to make the two different so that you would have to make a choice between them. So, you know, putting the chroma up to five health points or hit points, um, keeping the assassin the assassin's only got three. Um you know, it's a very temperamental, um, if it gets damaged, it's going to really go down unit. So that's three hit points, but it's got stealth. Um, and its rail gun is slightly longer range. Um,
1: and it's marksman and D2 plus one devastating damage, right? So yeah. it's a little extra damage and it brings you that marksman, right? For, so for more reliable performance, but yet in a more fragile package.
4: Mm. But if you can get up and punch that in the face because it's stealth, um, stealth's going make any difference to it, you know if you get into mellow and it's got three hit points it's armor six and three hit points it's it's as easy to kill as what three i can't think of what you it's got
3: armor six
2: <laughs> well bit one called? and a half enforcers, right
3: yeah. Oh yeah, spoiler alert! Can we talk about enforcers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go, let, let,
1: let's go into enforcer. <laughs> let's go into enforcers right now. They're 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 next next on our list. Dude, um,
3: enforcers got me hyped. Oh my god, some of these changes are epic. Uh, so yeah, Matt already talked a little bit about the Pathfinder tank. He kind of you know talked a little bit about it. I'm super pumped about enforcers getting. I can I say this that they're they're all getting HP too? Like if you're an enforcer, you're now two health points. You're not just a, a single dude. Like you get a little bit of chunk to you. Two HP on pretty much anything that's a proper enforcer. So if you're an operative, if you're a pathfinder, all that stuff, you now have two wounds, and I think that is epic. That's so cool, and it makes the faction feel so much different. And I I just love it. I think it's such a cool addition.
1: Speaks to that without sort of without durable... being OP.
3: It's it's yeah. not OP. There's been point adjustments and all that stuff too. So it's not like it's you know. End of the world, you know, oh my God, we're going to see nothing but enforcers. But I think it's a really interesting, different style, and I think it it really suits the enforcers very well. Yeah,
4: we didn't want a situation where an enforcer, you looked at an enforcer and you looked at a GCPS ranger and you went, one is the most elite thing that the GCPS is currently capable of producing. One is a slightly better trained human, but they're very similar in stats when it comes down to it because there wasn't a lot you could do with it. So, you know, and they're not the only faction to have had something to increase their survivability, shall we say. Um, you know, and there there was a danger when people playing games, some games were over quite quickly because um, people were losing units very, very quickly. So you know, some factions that might be more models to a unit. Some factions it might be armor upgrades or something. Or in this case, it it's two hit points. But then you've got to balance it out so there's points balancing there's um things like they've mostly lost small unit on their command options i think um so they're harder to um hide in that way um they've lost some some of the medic abilities that they had and now medic self so they're on the unit that they're in, there was a danger with enforcers that you either wiped out a unit um, or you left something alive and then just a huge amount of healing hit it and it ended up back where you started. So we've now got things where they're still healing. You can still heal them, it's part of their faction, but their resilience is in their starting wounds, not in a load of gotcha moments that come one after another. As someone chains a couple of orders and a few medics, and undoes everything you've just done. Well, and, and I also like
3: know. that it it adds a degree of separation from them, and like Forge Brothers, for example, where it's like, yeah, they have mm. good armor, but this is a different way to provide, like, a toughness, or a different way to to be resilient without the resilient keyword, like marauders. Like, it's it's another way to add that survivability that, you know, it's just It makes it different. It's it's
1: unique to them, right? Again, it's making uh, without having to create a new rule, right? Because we've talked about that. What we love about Manta games, right, is that they're accessible, easy to play, lifetime to master. And this is a perfect example of we want to make this faction a little bit more survivable, but in a more interesting uh, upfront way. Let's give them some extra health. Let's dial back some of their healing options. And then here you go. You have a little bit more unique of a feel, uh, a way to present a tough, the toughness of the, the narrative of what, uh, enforcers are right.
4: Hmm. We didn't want to remove, it's that thing. We don't want to remove anything, but we want to make things work the way that people probably felt that they should have worked. So, you know, I've painted loads of medics for my army and I'm still going to take some medics, but now they're a choice. I'm looking at them going, is that, is it useful to lose those shots to make that amount of medic? because he's not just going to go around bringing up every other unit around him. And their their survivability is in their hit points. Um, and they cost, you know, they're an expensive elite unit. And, and that was part of the problem with the game could win before. Been enforc- Enforcers were quite, they were quite a nice army to start playing with because they were reasonably straightforward. You kind of, sat all together you could shoot really really well you could do some good close combat and then you could most mistakes you made you could kind of go oh i shouldn't have done that it's all right i'll heal it and it kind of mitigated that now you need to play them well and this is very cool very cautious because this is you know a big mantic army we didn't want people to look at it and go oh well you just made the enforcers brilliant haven't you you know, to put in weaknesses, to put in negatives. No army should have all the tools. Everybody should have gaps, things that they're good at and things that they're bad at. So these feel like an elite, special ops type force. They're tough. They can, can firestorm everything. It, now, so. <laughs> but you can't just fire. Yeah, you can't just <laughs> firestorm everything. You they, they, you, you just, can't rely on small unit to keep stupid numbers of, of commanders. Um, alive, you can't rely on the persecutor bomber just to kill everything before it even gets a chance to move. Um, but you're also not going to be in a situation where once you've lost a couple of units, the game's over because you lose them so quickly because you've actually only got the same number of hit points as a GCPS unit. Um, and if you didn't take medics, that was silly of you. you dead, aren't you? So hopefully now it's a it's a an army that requires some strategy to play, some skill to play, um, still feels like what it's supposed to feel like.
3: Yeah. Love but it. When you see the whole thing, you'll, you'll understand it more. I love it. So,
1: Jeremy, do you want to give us some some highlights of your, your precious Forge Fathers coming up? Yeah, let's talk about Forge Fathers. One thing that stood out to me, and I absolutely love, love, love this idea, is what has Forge Fathers struggled with sometimes, right? it's getting command dice uh, you know, we haven't had a lot of ways to get command dice uh, Or when you do it's uh, you're trying to think about what are the, you know, what are the ways to get command dice? And also we were we went around on these little uh, we don't skip leg day. Right. So thus leads to muscular calves, but our legs are still super short. So for me, one of the things I love, and I love the model of it too, is we're getting a, a car fee command tank. So this is a command unit, right? But it's a vehicle, which to me is just like so cool. I just love the idea of like a, a mobile command unit vehicle. Uh, so it's what you would expect from a, a Forgefather tank. Uh, it's got heavy armor, but it's got shields too, which is amazing. Like it's giving you an orange dice, which is incredible. You know, not super strong weapons wise, but that's why you're not you're not getting it for that you're getting it as a super durable uh, command unit that has a great aura battle maneuvers, which gives all friendly vehicle units within 12, a three inch advance and sprint move. So that means you're making all your your iron ancestors. Uh are they walkers or vehicle are they vehicles, right? They have a
2: vehicle keyword. Yeah, they're vehicle walkers.
1: Yeah. So you're making all your iron ancestors a little quicker so they can get in and start doing their uh, uh spin and win uh with double Thor hammers. I I don't know. I gotta give it to you, Kyle, as the godfather of uh Forge fathers. This is a kick-ass unit.
2: Yeah, and there, and just more cool stuff too. I mean, it's just the uh, tip of an iceberg. Uh There's there's some fantastic Forgefire stuff coming. It's it's gonna be really fun to see people's reaction to.
3: Yeah, if we haven't been perfectly clear about that, we are being very, very tip of the iceberg kind of stuff here. We're we're giving you the very bare minimum. Like there's a bunch of cool stuff. For everybody. Not yeah, everybody gets cool stuff.
1: But I think that's a, a cool idea, right? To to have command enter into the uh, vehicle space, right, and not just be dudes that you can get command and uh, battle leading from other other sources. I like this idea of a command vehicle.
3: Yeah, I think it's really cool, and obviously, orange dice is super nice too. So, and then especially with the with the dawn of the, we haven't really talked about it much yet, but the the annihilation um, kind of alternate you know vehicle combat rule set this is epic for that you know it's like this is everything you want for that game mode it's, it's just a, a tank commander that can command a tank and just you know lead the whole company. I think it's it's really cool.
2: and it might be the most durable command vehicle in the game. I haven't exactly looked at all of them, but it, this the with the rules and stuff it has it's like if you want this command dice to last. This they got to get in, in proper forge father fashion, you know. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, if he's heavy armor, armor seven with shields three. I mean, and I shield guess generator. shields th- and sh- I was just gonna say shields three, right? But the shield generator, that's the one that, that lets your shields get restored, right?
2: Yeah, you roll dice at the turn for all your lost shields. Yeah, that's dope.
1: Anything right. else uh to jump out at you about uh forge fathers that you guys want to talk about? Since I know I mean, it's a faction that's close, close, near and dear to our hearts. There's, there's, there's a lot. Um,
2: I think... Um, give me your cherry on top. Let me give you, I'll give you one of the faction orders. Uh, it's kind of one of my... It's, it's, I think it's just a typical... Everyone who likes Dwarves will like this faction order thing. Uh, and it's, it's called the unnatural sprinters, uh, <laughs> and it's for uh, anything that's without the vehicle keyword. Uh, the unit may add three inches to any advance or sprint action that performs this round for one point. So people nice. thought dwarves were slow until they had a bunch of angry dwarves swarming around them. I love the Unnaturally. Name that. Unnaturally. That's brilliant.
1: <laughs> it is. And if you link that with the battle maneuvers, basically you're covering all your, all your bases, right? The battle maneuvers from the command tank gets your vehicles with that three inch advance and sprint. Whereas the unnatural sprinters will get all the other stuff that three inches. Yep. So again, since we're not using for the forge star every turn, we're We're finding other ways to spend those command points, right? in interesting uh, things to augment your playstyle. yeah awesome. That's
4: quite an interesting order. those last two you looked at because both of them, they're an example of an order that adds to your advance and sprint action. It's not allows them to do one out of order. So we've tried to remove or we've tried to swap over most of the orders where, a commander or somebody would do something and then the units would move out of activation order because it produced so many weird corner cases, so many rules interactions that you just didn't want to happen. Um the most common example being the one where the vehement units would just get railgunned across the entire board by um chaining the um progenitors order. But this is these two are this is what most of those movement orders now look like. When this unit activates, it's gonna have a longer advance or sprint action.
1: Which I like that, right? You know, uh making it a little better as opposed to as opposed to creating weird opportunities to screw things up, like you said. That's cool. And I just know when I build this. I am going to get a picture of Kyle's face and I'm going to turn him into a custom sculpted miniature for my kafri command cake tank. I haven't told you this yet, Kyle. Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because if you've looked at it, it, you you can get it on Mantic, right? right? They have the pre-order for it. And there's like a guy yeah. standing on the top with a thing. So I'm going to get someone to sculpt me a <laughs> Kyle Timberlake, force father. And uh, so you will be driving my tank immortalized forever. So, Kylie command tank. Yeah, yeah. Ah, it's gonna be the Kylie. Yeah, the uh, the Carfe, the, the the Car, the the Kylie. Exactly. Kyle yeah, the Kylie. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. Can you it will... can it play Zorba the Greek the entire time too?
1: Oh yeah, I'll 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 get some music. <laughs> some and we'll speakers, the whole... throw a Bluetooth <laughs> yeah. speaker in that yeah. thing. Yeah, the whole we'll have some um
2: uh some some
1: euros um <laughs> some uh some hummus. You know, we'll we'll do like the whole shebang. Suzuki
2: for everyone. Let's go. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you know, just uh, yeah. So, I I meant to tell you that the other day, and I had when we played our Kings of War game, and I forgot to tell you. I'm I'm de- I'm determined to get you in my command tank. So, gotta, gotta <laughs> do. and however you want to mean that, that's fine with me. I'll get you in my com- <laughs> command tank. Whatever. You're whatever. always welcome
3: in Jeremy's command tank. <laughs>
1: you all anytime you want to come be in my command tank, bro. You're always you're always welcome.
3: Shall we uh keep this show on the road? And-
1: yes. What do you think, Tyler? Uh, give us a, a little uh, GCPS snippet. All um, right.
3: Uh, here's here's my favorite snippet from the GCPS. And it's not okay. uh, exclusive to GCPS, but I, I think it fits with them probably the best. Um, so you know how the Hornet gunship just needs a little extra love? You know, it's like, oh, it's kind of cool. It flies stuff around. Uh, you know, it pokes stuff for like a damage or two. Well, have I got some news for you. You've probably seen the picture already that's got, like, the triple rotary cannon on the gunship. So this is the Hornet Horntail gunship. And, oh, my God, it is so cool. Uh, so it's still the the Hornet that you know and love, except now it's equipped with three rotary cannons uh, for a total of, well, it's four dice apiece on those. So you're looking at 12 dice AP1 with marksman. And this thing's just gonna obliterate stuff. I think it's such a cool anti infantry, just like shooty blender option. Because I love the model for the for the Hornet, but a lot of the times it's like you can't get all the full benefit of like dropping a squad out of it because it's like oh, then they're really slow because they don't have jump packs, yada yada. They don't have anti grav, yada yada. This is just like nope. We're we're sacrificing capacity of for putting dudes inside, and we're just replacing it with guns. And I think it's awesome.
1: And that model, right, with the triple uh, the triple Gatling gun- guns, ah, oh, it looks really dope.
3: Yeah, I mean, how do you not love that? So um, you can also replace one of the rotary cannons with a laser cannon or a missile launcher if you want it to do a little bit of everything, you know, if you don't want it to be so focused. It does have targeting systems, so you don't have to... You, know, you can shoot the missile launcher at something else and then shoot the rotary cannons at, you know, something else. So that's pretty sweet. I think it's a really interesting piece, and I think it adds some, some much-needed, you know... Um, vehicle fire support and it's you know it's fast it's twelve eighteen. that's how fast it can move it's it's just really interesting to me and i think it's it's a really cool addition plus i mean it's just badass right
4: mm-hmm. i mean the weapon options they're in the kit from the plastic kit but let's face it we're all going to take three rotary cannons because it's just going to look the coolest isn't it
2: yep best Bert.
1: yeah so what do you guys think if you replace it with one so uh, tyler took you through the three cannon so your two options for replacing is you can replace one rotary cannon with the following for 10 points you can get a laser cannon 36 range three dice ap3 anti-tank so a nice kind of just anti-tank or you can get a missile launcher 36 range two dice ap2 but anti-aircraft blast d4 so maybe if you don't have a lot of anti-aircraft in your list, you, you get that missile launcher, but the laser cannon's also nice.
3: Yeah, they're all good options. I just think the rotary cannon's the coolest one. <laughs> just keep it with 12 dice on, you know, AP one with marksman. I'm, I'm happy with that mm-hmm. personally, but I think they're both good options. It kind of depends on what else is in your list. You know, if you already have a bunch of weapons teams that have, you know, missile launchers, yeah. or whatever, maybe you don't do that. It's, it just depends on what else is in your, in your army.
1: This is just a kind of unit, and you've already spoke to it a little bit, Tyler, is that I feel like I'm just looking at these lists, and it's a bunch of little, and I think the game already had a bunch of cool list designs, and now it's even more so. To me, the list, it's like a wide open field, and I just want to run through it with like butterflies singing, like the sound of music, You you know what I mean? There's just so many different interesting lists that you can build now yeah exactly just the whole book is like oh i want to try that well actually hold on
3: i want to try that no wait wait hold on i want to try this wait wait, what if i try that and that's such a good place to be i think
1: Mm -hmm. and you can always if you want to uh uh fail headstrong rolls you can get uh, correctional stabilizers for 10 points just to you know if you feel like making and failing headstrong rolls like i do uh you can (laughs) you can have that option with the horn tail
3: um, yeah. And on a flying vehicle, that's actually really important because yeah. pin markers really, really mess up flying vehicles. So it's probably worth the 10 points, I think, mm-hmm. because and even I if will you're, say even if you're just getting it half the time or whatever. That is a big half the time where it's going to make yeah. a big difference.
1: I won't go into super detail here again. Like I said, we're trying to give you guys little flavors, you know, you know, get the book. But um Newer recruit classes in GCPS may not be. Uh, th- they had some new instruction came in, and they're not maybe getting <laughs> as as good training as before. So just keep that in mind if you're thinking about about building uh, a lots of recruit units. That there might be some changes there coming, which to me if, it makes sense. But
3: yeah, we want to see armies full of marines, not armies full of you know recruits. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. much how it goes.
1: Okay, so next on the list we have Marauders. What stood out for you guys in uh, Marauders that jumps right off the page that you really like?
4: Okay, so also the Wolverine tank. So it, it was it's obviously the new the new kit from um, Archon Studios. It gives the, the Marauders a heavy armor um, tracked vehicle, so it's something to go up against fortified tanks and things like that. It was one of a number of new units where we've got um sort of like asterisked weapon options so weapon options where you've got a main gun that can choose its ammo type so you can shoot um what we call a penetrator shell which is an anti-tank devastating ap four thing, or you can shoot a fragmentation shell which is a blast pinning weapon um it's not we haven't given you both guns and you can do both and you're now a kill everything in one turn, but that that weapon's got um, adaptability, shall we say, all from the one weapon mount. So, you know, you make your Wolverine, you put your big gun on top, and then on a turn-by-turn basis, you say to yourself, ah, I've seen a tank coming around the corner, load the penetrator shells, boom, let's try and take it out. Oh no, there's an infantry coming, quick, put the fragmentation shells in, fire. Um, I like that, I think that's quite a good fun thing. it's also got the option for 10 points of smoke launchers um, as part of our changes to smoke. That doesn't mean throwing a template out. That now means that on the turn which you use those smoke launchers, you'll gain you, that tangle count as being stealthy and in color um, until the start of the next activation. So, but it's only once, one use per game thing.
1: And what do we think about that change to, to smoke? I think it's far cleaner
3: and it stops yeah. a lot of the gamey stuff you could do by smoking a hill and then you can't see the entire army and then, or there's a choke point in the terrain and now all of a sudden your entire army's covered. I think it's a far more elegant solution. I think it's really cool. Um, good good change. Mechanically,
4: templates were a real nightmare because you'd place a template and it would go over a unit and you either balance the template on top of the unit and it repeatedly fell off. Or you put the unit on top of the template because they moved onto it. Then at the end of the turn, there's a the chance that template would disappear. You then had to take all the models off of the template to slide out the, to slide it out, and then you had to put the models back exactly where they were. And then we had funny. We were sitting there trying to work out how do you do rules. What happens if it's half on a building and half not on a building? What happens if they overlap each other? All those sorts of things. So this changed to smoke as being, you can fire something at a friendly unit, or in the case of the Wolverine tank, at yourself, um, that gives it defensive benefits. It's not making it totally invisible, so you can't just sit in a corner as a, as a, a Vietnam player, and box yourself off with some cheap units, smoke so that you're completely invulnerable, and then turn up in Tunnelers turn two. You're defended, and it's really useful for uh, Vietnam players and other players to get across the board, but it's not complete invulnerability. And I think for a tank, it's quite a nice thing to do. The tank moves itself forward. It starts firing off all its guns and everything. He's got that one-turn chance to, oh, quick, pop smoke and defend myself.
1: And it still stays true to the point of smoke, right? Which is to give the the armies a chance to move up and not be shot off the board, right? So it's still doing that. Because when you think about a minus uh, two to hit is not a small amount. You know, that's a big difference. Um, so yeah, so it's still, it's right. It's speaking to the point of the old smoke rule, but making maybe it, making it a little bit more streamlined. Awesome. Next on the list is Maison labs. Now I know uh, Maison labs is a pretty new faction and I'm not an expert on them. Um, has anything really changed with them? I know you've been building them, um, Matt, um, what's sort of new coming for Maison labs. That's interesting.
4: Well, there's a couple of units I can't talk about yet, um,
1: so stay tuned for 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 juicy for, yeah. Maison in the future. Yeah, not well, that makes sense because huge, they're the mysterious lab, right? So we don't really know much about them right now, uh,
4: other suppose, than they're trying. Well, the thing, sorry to say about Maison Labs, is um, it's them and um, and play because obviously there's some elements that they shared with playlists. And we put that beta list out there. And it had some plague units that weren't like the plague units. And that was our way of getting some feedback and testing to see whether that's how those plague units should act. So now we've had that feedback. Now we've gone back and said, those bits that worked, make it back into the plague list. Those bits that didn't work, then the GC, then then the maison gets the plague variant of it. So You know murder birds are murder birds whether they're being controlled by mobile labs or or plague but we've had a chance to see how we want to get them done um so for example we've taken fly off of the murder birds they're now an anti-grab unit but they've got um other rules to help sort of simulate that flyingness without having to need that fly because Fly on an infantry unit. Main, you had to put so many different provisos into the game. Oh, it's fly, but also only if it's a vehicle, or this and that, and the other, and, and things like that. So, it's a, it's a simplifying things, bringing things together. Um, it worked. We're running with it.
1: Cool. So stay tuned for more Maison Labs. Good goodness, Felix. Don't worry, it's coming. So define goodness. Uh, or you know, uh, I don't think well, anything based I mean, on
3: labs is is like goodness. Trying to they look they out for the, evilness. <laughs>
1: the future of uh, uh, the the future of our uh, species, right? Or a better galaxy? Yeah, for a better galaxy. Um,
2: Do we want to talk about one of the Maison faction orders? Sure, go for it. Um, this is the one I love the most in playtesting. I thought it was really cool, kind of combination between the regular GCPS side of Maison and the more experimental wacky wackadoo units, I guess you can say, for Maison. And that's uh, the order called the Expendables. And it's a, when a unit with the black wing keyword makes a blaze-away action, a unpinned unit with the lab experiment keyword within nine inches gets to make a free six-inch advance action. Uh, But the advance action may not be used to initiate an assault. So it's kind of like the keep their heads down as the monstrosities of doom get closer to you (laughs) and it's again it's because it's only can be used once you know you can't have an entire army just run up in front of you but it does a really good job of getting that um whatever lab experiment assault force you want to use closer to your enemy So all of a sudden like oh they're the thing's coming at to deal with it right now Uh, and you can always threaten that with multiple units having that possible interaction That is
1: cool. And I just love, I love rules that always can find a way to fit into the theme and fluff of the army. You know, we've talked a lot about that over the years and those rules that pop up in Kings, right? That just, you know, it just makes sense, right? I mean, I got to use my own catchphrase. (laughs) It just just makes sense. Some uh, to have some of these uh, uh, you can tell a lot of these changes in this book. You can feel there's a lot of love for the Warpath universe sprinkled throughout all these rules updates.
4: Yeah, don't ever think, don't ever see a rule and think that, that wasn't thought through. We have spent a lot of time debating, arguing about getting, getting things balanced. I mean, this Expendables one's an example of it's using Blackwing units and lab experiment units. So this is an army list with two very distinct sides to it. It's got its GCPS style, slightly more elite Blackwing units. It's got its plagues and robot style lab experiment units and then you've got an order like this that means you're not just going to end up deploying my GCPSE army on the left and my plague army on the right and they're going to be separate factions it's making those two parts of your army have to interact each other have to mesh together um to get the best out of them, which I, I quite
1: like. So let's move up to Plague. One really interesting thing that's happening with Plague is that we're seeing a change to the regeneration rule. It's now just a basic, each unit with that keyword gets one health point previously lost. It just happens. And a previously removed model from this unit can be replaced in, in this way, but only if all the other models with multiple hit points are fully healed. So a little change to this, to making it a little bit more reliable. Um, what do we think about this update to the regeneration rule and plague?
2: I mean, it, it's great for plague. And like one, ask, one caveat to do with regeneration as well is that that wound is added at the end of the round. Um, so you still have to make sure your unit's alive <laughs> to gain a benefit from that. Uh, but pretty much everything in the plague list uh, that isn't a vehicle uh, gets regeneration. So it helps. You know, if you're part of the swarm, um, you get a benefit compared to like the Maison ones.
4: It's one of those suite of rules. So, you know, we talked about enforcers have often got two hit points now. Um, we haven't said, but there's something in the Forge Father list that's making the Forge Fathers tougher in their own special way. M- um, plague, okay, they're still reasonably reasonably easy to kill, but they're going to regenerate and it's not just going to be a dice roll that may or may not happen. They're going to come back at a reasonably steady pace. Um, it's just that that way of keeping more models on the table a little bit longer, so that all five turns of the game get played and feel like they're full turns.
1: Yeah, and uh, it, yeah, it's nice to know sometimes you can do game game planning around uh, attrition, dealing with attrition, like losing units, but when it's stable. Like you know exactly how much you're going to get back here. It's just adding some of that stability and knowing that no matter what you do, your force of plague zombies is always going to be like coming back. There is no stop to the wall of dead. You know, I think it's pretty cool.
4: Yeah, like radiance of life is quite predictable in King's War, isn't it? Exactly. One wound. Yeah, and Um,
1: this is kind of within that thing that you know exactly at the end of the round, you know exactly what's going to happen as far as your and it's a way to provide uh, sustainability to deal with shooting and and to make you tougher but make you tougher in a in a, a way that is unique to plague so it's not just mm. giving you other wounds or we've looked at like you said other ways some of the factions have gotten a little tougher so here's a way that plague is getting tougher that's unique to them
4: yeah they're going to take wounds on the way in it would be wrong if they didn't but they need to have something left when they get to you to fight um so yeah that's that's one of the things they've got
1: have you messed around with plague or play uh, at, that much? I, I know probably in Den Zone, Kyle, but have you played them at all in Firefight?
2: Um, I, Rashad has a plague army, so I've played yeah. against him a couple times. Um, okay. I think yeah. Most of the time, it's it's been playing against Rashad. I, I don't think I've ever sure. actually. I played Maison, so I have you know some aspect of some plague elements, some plague elements there. But I don't think I've ever played a true plague army. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's one thing with the firefight is like it was probably the hardest army to play with. Um, yes, mm-hmm. just because it's it's a very much an assault army, and I think with these added vehicles and the and the rules and stuff like that, it's going to be uh, still a a, a smasher face assault army, but a, a bit easier to get your uh, uh, your feet underneath it to, to get going and and use an army effectively from uh, game one. Yeah,
4: um, I think another interesting unit that we've added in here is the Stage 3A Lieutenant. So one of the things we felt that the plague sometimes struggled with was command choices. So they got, you know, some big, fighting, monstery command choices, and then they had their general. So what we've added in is a kind of lower-ranked officer. You can use your same model that you would have used for your general, or you could use a um, a pull-a-sergeant model out of one of your um ghoul units but you've now got the, the the stage 3a lieutenant or lieutenant um depending on your country of origin um he's can give you a black tactician dice um instead of the orange one you're getting from the general and he just gives you a another cheaper command commander that can spread some inspiring um that can hand out orders can give you another dice um and he's got a headstrong aura for his command order. So just that, that extra tool where there was a gap in that list.
1: Nice. Yeah, just more choices. And I think we've seen that. A lot of the commanders got new orders, right, up and down the faction. Are uh, A lot of the command choices have been tweaked. So that's one thing you guys can look forward to when you get the book is take a look at. A lot of orders have changed. A lot of commanders have been refined up and down through all the lists it seems like to me. So take a look when you're looking at whatever is your faction of choice. uh, Take a look at all the updates to commander trying to make maybe the ones that weren't as chosen more viable and just adding some balance to commit your command options. Well, finally, as uh, Riley would say, we've saved the best for last, the Veermen, uh, a super popular faction. I think one of the the cooler ranges and, and a great range for those who want to play Ratkin in Kings of War, a lot of great models that can go back and forth from faction to faction. Um, why don't you pick, you start us off here in Veerman, Matt, what sort of stands out for you with these guys as far as um, command protocol updates?
4: Um, I think one of the notable things, one of the things that we try, because these guys have had a beta test, um, and you get feedback from the community and you you listen to that feedback and and one of the things that people weren't a massive fan of was the fact that we made the basic rat units 10 man minimum but we still wanted Beerman's thing to be hordes so there's a kind of compromise here where we've made them um eight man base units so they're still larger than what the elite units are, are starting off with, elite armies starting off with, um, but you've still got some room to play with there, but they go up to 20 man. So we've we're, we're got eight man to 20 man. We've taken the malignus and we've made them the leader. Now that does mean that you've only got one heavy weapon in the, the crawler unit um, and the same for the stalker unit, but because he's the leader, he's also now the last one to die. So no one's going to snipe your heavy weapon out with a sniper rifle. That then left us looking at it saying, well, there's a possibility now people are going to have more malignesses than they needed. Um, You don't have to make 10 man squads. So it's not that you're now looking at it going, I don't know what to do with that maligness. I needed it to make up the numbers and now now I can't use it. So what we've added in is is an extra unit which is the maligni um, troop choice. So it's five malignuses, maligni, I'm guessing is the, the latterly sounding version of it. Um, it's just a five man squad, starts off with chem spitters, can have chem throwers, um, heavy ray guns. It gives you a reasonably decent vehement <laughs> shooting troop unit. And it's something to do with any spare malignal models that you happen to have, which we gave at the same time as, you know, putting back some of the choice over numbers that you could put into the stalkers and crawlers. That was the plan.
1: Awesome. What did you think, Kyle? Um, anything jump out at you around Beermen that you thought was cool?
2: Uh, this is one of the, I guess, army I've played against the least and with. Yeah, me too. Um because it's like one of those. Like one part is one of the guys I'm I'm bringing into the into the game is playing this army, so I'm like okay, I'm not gonna mess around because that's his that's his thing. Um, but I think one thing that wasn't really explored that much in competitive airmen lists was all the other stuff that wasn't nightmares supercharging out of tunnelers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but I think there's a, a the the army now is you have reasons to take everything. Got it. You have your, you have your horde stuff. You have your super elite stuff. Like women have a lot of good answers to a lot of things. And I think they're, they're kind of a more initially, I think you'd think Ratman like a horde army and stuff like that. And they can definitely do that, but it's actually more of a balanced army than you would think. They kind of have a bit of everything. Uh, you know, their shooting isn't bad. Uh, they don't have like super elite stuff, but there, there aren't just, you know, they're not plague where they're kind of limiting their shooting options. So, and with the new tunneler, uh, vehicles the different uh types and things like that are coming out i think people are gonna uh do cool things with them nice
1: well whew, we're gonna take a break and on the other side we're gonna come up and we're gonna wrap up this massive mammoth show we'll be right back
3: this is Paige from singapore with the youtube
4: battle report channel newbie dice and you're listening to hi this is
3: rob berman and you're listening to Countercharge.
1: and we are back wow what an episode guys Really excited to have Tyler, Kyle, and Matt on the episode. Again, like we said, to give you just a little taste of some of the new models. There's plenty of stuff, massive amounts of the stuff in the book that Mantec has already previewed that we didn't talk about and tons of other stuff that uh, we can't talk about yet. But get your pre-orders in, grab this book. I mean, just up and down, great changes to lists, great changes to basic rules, um, I know Matt, probably a lot of hard work went into this. Do you have any shout outs you want to give uh, around the new update?
4: I, we've just had some absolutely brilliant play testers. we've had we've had our our beta tester group of of lots of players that they've been playing games for us, giving us feedback. We've had some feedback on the the public beta test um, list that went out, and then we've had what we called our alpha testers, people like Kyle. Um, that have been working really closely with the rules committee that we've bounced ideas off of that have gone away and played things. They've helped us with proofreading. They've been absolutely amazing. And it's it's made something that, you know, a, a reasonably small rules committee couldn't possibly have done into something that we're all really proud of. I mean, when you get this book, there is a list of... Them of the main active playtesters in the back of the book and go and look through it look at the names and yeah they, they, those guys really deserve a lot of credit for, for this even happening
1: yeah that's awesome thanks to everyone taking part playing games like you said contributing um you know it is definitely one of the things that makes me love manta games is that they do make an effort to make players uh uh, players have a voice in the agency of the game system that they play either through play testing or through the rules committee or whatever. So it's always been fun to take part in a game that you feel you can contribute to. Right, Kyle?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Being, being involved and seeing, seeing how things interact and being as a player, you, you can see that feedback from just the person posting on Facebook all the way to the rules committee is, is being taken into account. It, it's real fun to be involved in that.
4: We need that feedback because one group of people can't do it. We've needed tournaments. We've needed what people are saying on Facebook and Discord. We've needed what people are posting in our forms. And we've needed our beta testers. Um, and they have been great, especially over the last few weeks. The number of hours, some of them, a couple of them have just spent an untold number of hours going through the books, pointing out things that we need to deal with and, and look at. And they've been, they have been amazing. I'm, really impressed.
1: Awesome. Well, moving forward, um, keep a lookout on the show space. Rob is working hard. Uh, We're going to get this episode out to you guys uh, really soon. Uh, So if not already, Rob is also getting all of his Kings of War Masters coverage edited, and that will be coming out. If you haven't watched any of the live video streaming from Masters, I was really psyched to join Grant and Matt Carmack for both days of streaming at Masters. Rashad joined us, um, Corey Reynolds. So if you want to see some high-caliber, top-end Kings of War play, go watch those live streams. They're on Matt Carmack's YouTube channel. Pretty easy to find. It's all over the internet, Uh, so make sure to check that out. We got a bunch of cool stuff, like I said, coming for the show. I think as far as Firefight I think we're probably going to take a look once the new book comes out, which is coming out soon. We're going to let that settle. And I think we'll, we'll then probably do another roundabout list. Maybe we'll do another faction review or, or we'll do, um, you know, maybe we'll do a deep dive into the, into the missions and scenarios where we talk about all the different missions and scenarios and how to play them. That might be a cool, uh, we've been, people have been loving us doing that about the Kings of war, uh, missions. We've been doing some like, uh, Masterclass workshops on how to like uh, what to think about when playing different missions. Maybe we'll do that. Or or if you love Firefight and you like this sort of our Firefight content, if you have an idea for a show that you want to hear about Warpath universe or Firefight stuff, just post it on our Facebook page. Let us know, and Tyler, Kyle, and Matt and I would be happy. Uh, to do it we've really been enjoying these sort of once a month once every you know six week episodes to focus on firefight stuff and we appreciate you guys listening and um, anything on any shout outs on your radar kyle before we end the show
2: yeah a shout out to uh dustin howard over in uh houston i know he's got dod guys getting into firefight uh here soon and he's kind of after masters, I know his plan was to start really getting into firefight. So with this new book coming out and the new models and stuff like that, I know those guys will will get a good group going. And just like every other war game out there, um, that's not uh, GW made. We we have to make the community. We have to be the cool guys hanging out, making, having fun games at local game stores like that. People will notice. Takes time, just like anything else. And then one day we'll look back and go, "Oh yeah, that's right. We have." all these big tournaments, all these people playing. It's not a problem to find, but it's got to start somewhere.
1: Yeah. And the game is there guys. It's a great game. Super fun. The models are fun. The community is great. Um, let's all give it a shot and give it a try and get that plants, you know, get those games going in your local stores. So, so with that, remember to always keep counter
0: charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on counter charge. and is licensed under Creative Commons.